Friends, a good Wednesday morning to you at 8.30. And thank you for tuning in to Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson. Big afternoon yesterday, wasn't it, as the uh, province of Alberta, the Alberta government, uh, by way of Premier Jason Kenney, a couple of his uh, senior cabinet ministers, uh, Minister Chandra, Minister Schweitzer, and of course, Dr. Dina Hinshaw announcing uh, new measures that the province will take uh, in order to uh, try to stop the surge of COVID-19 cases that we've been seeing. We're going to get into what the restrictions mean for you. Many of them I mean, coming to effect uh, this weekend will we'll likely have uh, an impact on you. Uh, perhaps you're one of those Canadians that, that's already been voluntarily hunkered down. You've already been voluntarily locked down. Perhaps some of the restrictions or, or all of the restrictions announced yesterday have no relevance to you because that's the way that you've been rolling for the past number of weeks or months anyway. After all, we've been talking about personal responsibility, haven't we, in the province of Alberta? And that is a thing. I want to have some real talk today on whose job it is and whose responsibility it is or Perhaps we should simply say who should be taking responsibility for the surge in cases we've seen, for the numbers we've seen. This can get politicized quickly, and it does. And it makes sense to invoke politics here because that's where public policy emanates from. But perhaps, as former Alberta Premier, the late Jim Prentice, once said as well, we do need to look in the mirror and have meaningful conversations about how we've approached this pandemic and how in Alberta, across Western Canada and across our great nation, we'll be approaching the next four weeks or so with hospitals, frontline staff warning that we are very nearly close to capacity. We're going to talk to a COVID survivor today. You may roll your eyes and say survivor. Everybody's using that word now for everything. You're a survivor. Jacqueline Robinson is a survivor she barely made it out the other side she's a public health nurse out of vancouver she's going to join us in about a half an hour's time before that we're going to talk to health researcher out of the university of calgary dr sajad fazel and we're going to check in with uh, tristan hopper of the national post coming up a little bit later on in this broadcast if you know tristan you know that even i have no idea how that interview is about to go but i guarantee you this it'll be wildly entertaining and then we want to let you know, and we'll be reminding you through today's live broadcast, that even though we're typically not on the air at 2.05 p.m. Mountain, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, we will be today. Uh, we don't pre-tape on this show. It's a, it's, it's, it's a flag that we've planted. In other words, whatever you see here on this show will be live. We requested a conversation with Canada's finance minister, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. Her team said she'd be happy to make her debut on Real Talk, but she can only do it at 4.05 Eastern, would you pre-tape? I said, ah, gosh, you know, we don't pre-tape. And then, well, it occurred to producer Sam Brooks and I that we can go live whenever we like. So why would we pre-tape? We know you can do whatever you like in the middle of the afternoon, especially these days. So don't miss today at 205 Mountain, 405 Eastern. We'll be back on air. It may only be 10 or 12 minutes, but a special live edition of Real Talk as we go one-on-one -on -one in an exclusive sit-down with Canada's Deputy PM, Christia Freeland. That's coming up. But first, want to let you know that we have this ball rolling this morning because we've got the amazing support of the team at Bitcoin Well. As our presenting sponsor, Bitcoin Well, makes sure that we bring you what you're looking for every day as they bring you what they provide, which is the easiest and safest and most hassle-free way 
to buy and sell Bitcoin. You know you can get Bitcoin gift cards? If you're looking for that perfect stocking stuffer or, quite frankly, you just want to get in the game, talk to the team at Bitcoin Well. They've got Bitcoin ATMs across the Metro Edmonton region, across Canada, in fact, but they're proudly headquartered right here in Alberta's capital city. Sam, let's get her going. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We also want to make sure that you know about uh, our new partnership with Y Station. Y Station is the official research and strategy partner of Real Talk. And yesterday, by way of my Twitter profile, on my Facebook, and at ryanjesperson.com, right up there in the top bar, you'll find the question of the week. We're calling it Get Real. Here's your chance to have your say on this show. We want to know about you. We want to know what makes you tick. We want to know how you feel about issues that matter. Ultimately, we'll create our Real Talk panel. Uh, Don't worry, it's not a huge commitment. You can participate as you see fit with whatever works with your schedule. But we'll be gleaning detailed data about our audience and about the Canadians that tune into this program. And each and every week, we'll be able to take a look at questions and answers provided by you on issues that matter most to Canadians. We're very excited about that partnership, and we invite you to sign up today to have your say. Again, you can find it very easily on the top bar at ryanjesperson.com. Dr. Sajad Fazel, in just a moment, but first, let's take a look at uh, a brief, uh, a a little, we're going to play about a minute right now of what Premier Jason Kenney had to say yesterday. Now, this was basically Premier right out of the gates at the podium. And I don't know if you're like me. If you are, you probably read in quite a bit to what you're watching. You, You pay attention to things like body language. You pay attention to things like posture and you pay attention to eye contact. You pay attention to the delivery of a message as well as the message itself. What I thought was particularly interesting about this and nothing that Premier Kenny says in this clip is incorrect. As a matter of fact, his speechwriters, I think, did a pretty good job of getting out the message that they want to get out, including the fact that Alberta was a respected enough jurisdiction in the perspective of health, that the National Hockey League brought a number of teams here, 12 teams here back in the bubble days into the hub city, you'll remember, for the NHL playoffs. Alberta was the talk of Canada at the time. Now, it hasn't stayed that way, has it? But if you listen to Premier's message yesterday, there's some real political elements to it. We'll get into this in just a second, but first, let's tee it up. Despite all of the pressures that we have faced together, we managed to get through most of this tough year with lower relative levels of COVID infections, hospitalizations, and fatalities than the other large Canadian provinces, all the U.S. states, and pretty much all of the European countries. And we did that with a lighter hand on job-killing restrictions, while also coping with the hardest-hit Canadian economy due to the energy price collapse on top of the global COVID recession. And we did it while leading Canada in pandemic response from personal protective equipment that we were able to share with the rest of the country to the highest levels of testing, to the fastest and smartest use of technology, and much more. Let's not forget that the NHL recognized Alberta's leadership uh, by uh, choosing Edmonton as the center for the NHL playoffs of uh, dozens of cities across North America. But having said that, 
we all know that the last few weeks have been a different story. So that's uh, Premier Jason Kenney there. We know the last few weeks have been a different story. You heard him talking about job-killing restrictions. That's one example of, of how the Premier, I think, wanted to clearly communicate to Albertans tuned in to that 4 p.m. update yesterday that there is a political element to pandemic management, obviously. Now, the question is, again, is it fair to look back on the government right now? I've heard some people saying I've been paying attention to my social media channels and doing as best I can to have my finger on the pulse. I mean, nothing's better than the comments you're going to leave this morning on our live YouTube stream or using the Real Talk RJ hashtag powered by Park Power. But it seems that some folks are saying these are the appropriate measures. This is the appropriate period of time, the next four weeks. Others are saying, eh, too little, too late. Now, that's a bit of a pessimistic view in, in my mind. You don't simply say too little, too late and, and, and dismiss the entire restriction. I think it's important that we talk about the validity of them, whether or not they're on point right now, and if this will help Alberta course correct. But the politics of a pandemic are a fascinating area for discussion, and that's exactly the platform we have here this morning. So we want to hear your thoughts. Also, various, uh, very curious to hear what our next guest will say about this. He's a, a health researcher at the University of Calgary, a public health researcher studying and addressing COVID-19 misinformation. Dr. Sajad Fazel making his Real Talk debut this morning. Doctor, thanks for making time for us and welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's good to see you back on air. Thank you. What did you make of the restrictions announced yesterday? I'll keep the question vague and general out of the gates on purpose. Yeah, it's, uh, it's needed, Ryan. It was needed a little earlier, and uh, I think it's late, but at the same time, it's not something we have to disregard. It's uh, something we have to keep in mind. I think it's needed now, and if we can correct the course, if we can follow these recommendations, if we have peace officers and the police enforcing these recommendations, then I think we can start the new year much brighter, right? Think of it as if we are at war, right? Think of it as Alberta is at war with the virus, with COVID-19. And each of us, me, you, and everybody else, from doctors to frontline workers, we are all the troops fighting this war, right? And we know that the vaccine is coming. That's like the Air Force that's gonna nuke uh, COVID-19, right? And what we need now is our resolve. What we need now is to rely on each other. And the restrictions, although they are late, that's like the, the reinforcement of the ground troops. So if we can make sure in this next month we are following these recommendations strictly, um, we can turn it around and we will be at a much better place uh, as 2021 rolls in. Doctor, is four weeks an appropriate period of time? It, it, seemed, it, it strikes me, we talked about the, uh, we saw the CDC yesterday announcing uh, they're dialing back uh, their recommendations a bit, or at least the limitations on self-isolation. They say that if you've been exposed to somebody with COVID-19, but you show no symptoms, a 10-day uh, isolation or a 10-day quarantine is appropriate. They say if you show no symptoms with a negative test, a seven-day quarantine would be appropriate. But the CDC did point out yesterday that is it is still the safest approach to continue to observe the 14-day quarantine. These limitations put in place by the Alberta government yesterday will last for 28 days, four weeks. An appropriate period of time in your estimation? Absolutely. I think we have reached a very severe stage. One thing that we have to understand is when we were uh, at a very dire situation in May, uh, the restrictions were very, very strict. 
where we are now, we are worse than where we were in May in terms of the number of new cases and active cases and deaths and positivity rate in the population. But the policies have not reflected that. So we need this now. This is like a circuit breaker. This is like us saying, you know, we're going to take this war back and we're going to win this battle. And I think it's time for all of us as Calgarians, Edmontonians and Albertans in general to say, let's use this opportunity, this golden opportunity. It's not easy staying away from family during uh, Christmas. But this is the time if we can buckle up, uh, we'll be able to change things around in the new year. Definitely. Doctor, I know that much of your health research has 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 come down to uh, myth busting, essentially. And, and uh, there's been, I think, many different opinions, assertions uh, about vaccines. Now, I know opinions about science is, is kind of a, a counterintuitive. <laughs> Just even the, the whole idea. It's like opinions about evidence. It doesn't matter your opinion about gravity. Uh, it applies. Uh, but there have been many different uh, opinions and takes on this vaccine, specifically the one uh, that Pfizer has developed that will now be available. We expected the first dose here in Alberta momentarily. Uh, we know about 2,000 Albertans by the end of the year, and then we expect through the spring, thousands of Albertans will have an opportunity to get vaccinated. What are some of the key things, the messages that you're focusing on as you follow the news about vaccines now almost available? Yes, I think, uh, you see, there is no point in having a vaccine if people aren't ready to take it, right? Um, and that's something we have to understand is important. There are a subset of the population, there are Canadians who say that, uh, um, I will wait and see. And I don't think that's the right approach. And when they say wait and see, they're like, you take it first, let me see what happens to you, and then I'll decide whether I want to take it. I think that's very wrong, you know. Uh, we have the vaccine, we should be taking it now. By default, some people will already be in the weight group because we don't have enough doses uh, to inoculate everyone. So I think use this time. If you are not in the first group of people, in the first set of people to get the vaccine, use this time to see. You say you want to wait and see. see. Um, and I would say the media uh, should focus on interviewing people who have taken the vaccine to reduce the hesitancy that's there among people because there are people who are afraid, oh, this is a new vaccine, although... I want to make it very clear that once Health Canada approves the vaccine, they've already checked the data in terms of the safety and efficacy. And that's why they would approve such a vaccine. So I think this is something we have to understand. The other thing, Ryan, I want to mention is side effects. A lot of people say, oh, this, there's going to be side effects of the vaccine. Well, everything has side effects. This Advil, for example, even has side effects. Every medication you take has side effects. That does not mean you do not take it, right? You're looking at the benefit risk ratio over here. What are some of the side effects of the Pfizer vaccine, for example? You might have some pain in the arm where, it, where you took the injection. You might have a little bit, 1% of uh, those in the trial had vomiting, maybe a little bit of fever, uh, some fatigue. Now compare that to getting COVID-19 and all the symptoms associated with COVID-19 and how that's going to affect your life, right? So I think we have to be clear. It's not a utopia, but at the same time, we have to make it clear. It's safe. It's effective. There's going to be some small side effects, but the benefit far uh, outweighs the, the small side effects. I think one of the one of the interesting things that I've been noting, doctor, and, and I don't have specific uh, data in front of me with regards to polling, but I've seen it. So anecdotally, let me present that, you know, I would, I would approximate that, you know, the, the hardcore anti-vaxxers 
among us. The, the people that, that don't uh, inoculate their kids, they don't get the vaccine, they sure as hell don't get the flu shot. Uh, you know, they believe what Jenny McCarthy has to say over health professionals. They believe the Hollywood celebrities uh, that allege, for example, that autism comes as a result of vaccines, which has, has been soundly disproved, uh, et cetera, would be a small, re- a relatively minute portion of our population. Let, let, let's say under 1% to perhaps a maximum of 3 or 4%. However, the vaccine hesitant in this circumstance relating to COVID-19 flirts with 35 to 40 percent of society, depending on the studies or the polls that you look at. That is not a number we can ignore. So what's your message to the vaccine hesitant that might simply be saying, hey, I don't know a ton about science. I only want what's best for my family and it seems to me that this thing is really i mean it's obviously being fast-tracked the mandate is to fast-track it but i wonder if that might mean that they skip some steps they're not aware of the long-term effects maybe we're putting ourselves in harm's way what would you say to these people i would say that that's not something to be worried about we understand And uh, as health researchers, as health professionals, we are empathetic that somebody might fear something new, might fear that this was fast-tracked. But the fast-track did not come at the cost of quality. And that is something to be understood. The technology of creating this vaccine, and this is a new type of vaccine, the technology has changed from what it was in the past. And so this is why it was possible to fast-track. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing is that it has gone safety and efficacy studies Uh, throughout the clinical trials. At the same time, before getting approval, and it it undergoes independent research review, and then it undergoes a review by both the US Food and Drug Administration and over here in Canada by Health Canada, who ensure that it is safe and efficacious. And a lot of people, Ryan, I've seen have this uh, notion that it might cause side effects. But as I've explained, these are some of the side effects that have been seen. um, And have there been something severe a severe adverse reaction, uh, this wouldn't have passed the safety tests. And so this is something we have to keep in mind. Uh, doctor, if people aren't following you on Twitter already, I implore them to do so. I've, I've linked to your account uh, on my profile when we announce who's on the show today, at Sajad Fazel. I liked this tweet yesterday. You said, when the COVID-19 vaccine rolls out, I want everyone who gets the shot first to share their story in the most creative way on social media with follow-ups. You say, and I want the media to interview them periodically. You say this will help reduce the hesitancy and concerns that many have. I responded to you by saying I'll gladly get the the vaccine live on the air here in our studio on Real Talk, and I mean it, and we'll do our best to make that happen. I want to set a positive example, and I'm happy to get that vaccination. Why do you think it's important to invoke people's social media posts? Why does personal testimony matter so much here? You see, Ryan, a lot of uh, people who are hesitant, it's also because they hear it from family and friends, they hear it from colleagues at work. And I think at the end of the day, we are all human beings and that human touch does matter. If you see somebody within your own circle sharing a story that they got the vaccine and they are okay and then they give follow-ups that they have not had any severe side effects apart from maybe some pain in the arm or something like that, it's going to help reduce that hesitancy. It's going to increase the trust. So it's not only about us as health professionals uh, spreading this message, but it's also about cousin Mark and Lucas uh, helping others in society by saying, you know, I took the shot or I was lucky enough to get the shot and this is what happened uh, and this is how it it is beneficial. It's It's a community thing. We should think of it as 
together as a nation, we are encouraging each other. Uh, and this is one way we can uh, beat these fires. There are some suggestions that that as the months roll on and as the vaccine is readily available and, and, and as people perhaps, I mean, to put it plainly, run out of excuses for not getting vaccinated. And obviously it's a personal choice. I see people suggesting that, that those who have not been vaccinated should be uh, barred from boarding public transit, should be barred from entering public spaces, that children that have not been vaccinated should be prevented from uh, entering public schools, libraries, etc. You can use your imagination. And it's gone so far because this is what happens on Twitter uh, for people to invoke the, the treatment of Jews by the Nazis uh, in World War II, the, the star, so to speak, the star of David on the arm. And, 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 and the conversation can get very hot very quickly. How do you believe that society, what public policy do you think should be implemented to reflect uh, how this needs to be managed, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated walking together? So I think it's a, it's a very delicate issue, as you've mentioned. Um, but we do know for a fact that you cannot visit certain countries, for example, without getting a yellow fever vaccine, right? That is, that is a fact, and that is currently available. Um, you cannot, uh, uh, for certain schools, they need your child to be vaccinated unless you actually have an exemption. Um, and I think for the time being, until at least 80% or over 80% of the society has been vaccinated. Until that time, I don't think uh, uh, it's fair enough to say uh, whoever uh, does not ha has not been vaccinated should not uh, access certain services. Because right now, we don't have enough vaccines to roll out. However, Ryan, when we reach that part where almost 80% of the population is vaccinated or more, and the only people who are not vaccinated are those die-hard um, you know, people in society who say that I do not want to be vaccinated because I don't believe in this. I think then at that time you can have restrictions such as those, because at the end of the day, it's about the safety and well-being of everybody. Yeah, I mean, I won't be surprised to see. Uh, I, I mean, geez, it's 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 kind of hard to imagine uh, because typically personal health matters are, are exactly that. Right. They're very personal. But I can imagine a day when, for example, airlines may say you're not boarding the aircraft unless you have proof that you're vaccinated. That's just one example off the top of my head. Can you see that happening? Not in the near future, but uh, going ahead, uh, maybe a year to two from now. Yes, definitely. I mean, there are some countries right now, uh, Ryan, that you can't visit without a negative COVID-19 test. So I do see this uh, developing in that way. And these are private businesses. They can definitely uh, impose such measures. Yeah, I'm curious to know what our audience thinks about that. And, and, and we'll be keeping an eye on the Real Talk RJ hashtag, as well as the uh, live comments here uh, on our YouTube uh, channel with many people watching live right now. Dr. Sajad Fazel, our guest. Doctor, before I let you go, before I thank you for your time, is are there any pervasive, I mean, to, to bring this back full circle, uh, your work around myth busting, your, your work around uh, public education, which is so important. I mean, you mentioned bylaw officers and enforcement earlier, I think you and I would both agree, please feel free to disagree, but I, I think we'd both agree that, that education will beat enforcement every time uh, if you want mass buy-in, or at least from a smart place to start. Are there any pervasive mistruths, uh, inaccuracies, or, or full-out myths 
that you continue to see as part of public discourse that you'd like to address while you have the attention of our audience right now and, and the attention of those listening to the podcast later in the day? Surprisingly, Ryan, um, till today, there is there are people who believe that uh, COVID-19 is just as the flu. There are others who still believe that it's a hoax. It's, it's surprising. It's surprising to me as well uh, that we still have people believing in that. Um, and that is something we're going to continue, you know, educating and dealing with uh, um, people who say wearing a mask takes away your freedom, uh, which is wrong. So I think these are things we're going to continue seeing. But my message for the majority of listeners will be, let us use this one month that we have in Alberta. These restrictions are in place. Let us use this time to make sure we start 2021 better. Let us follow the restrictions. Um, and if you are among those people who are first in line uh, to, the, to get the vaccine, either in a long-term care home or a staff who's working in those areas, then make sure you take your vaccine and uh, uh, instill confidence in those who are maybe slightly afraid. Doctor, I'm going to ask a completely unfair question to end our interview because there's no way for you to really accurately answer this. But what's your general time frame now that a vaccine's on the horizon, now that governments have procured the vaccine, at least the first shipment, now that there are plans in place to get the vaccine to the different provinces, now that we know who's going first, et cetera, et cetera. What's your prediction for when we can be back, as Sam Brooks and I have said, uh, bumping chests in bars at hockey games, spilling beer on one another, packing movie theaters, listening to our favorite bands at concerts, cheering on our favorite NHL team with 18,000 other people around us, big kids' birthday parties, sleepovers. You get the idea. I'm jonesing Quit for this. dangling that carrot in front <laughs> I know, of us. Sam. Oh, I'm just I'm trying nice. to... I cannot temper my enthusiasm when it comes to getting back to normal. So, doctor, a completely unfair question I acknowledge. But when? Yeah, <laughs> that is an unfair question. It's hard to see how things go. Um, let me just say this. In an ideal world, if we could get the vaccines out to everyone and we could um, all follow restrictions, it would have been much sooner. However, the way things are going right now, uh, probably sometime in 2022, I would say. Yeah, January 22. I know you didn't say January. I know you didn't say that. And you're not on... <laughs> I was going to say you're not on the record. I mean, technically you are on the record, uh, but we'll take it as an off the record comment. We'll treat it as such. Let's just say our fingers are crossed. The more public buy-in we have, starting with this four-week, no one wants to call it a lockdown, but let's call it what it is, uh, these four-week measures, let's hope that we can turn this tide. Dr. Sajad Fazel, keep up the incredible work. Thank you for making yourself available to us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Dr. Fazel is a... Uh, public health researcher out of the University of Calgary, and his Twitter game is strong. I encourage you to give him a follow. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to get to the news headlines. Then we're going to talk to Jacqueline Robinson. Uh, Jacqueline and I, as a matter of fact, went to university together about 25 years ago, if you can believe it. And uh, I was among the thousands that uh, experienced great uh, distress. Uh, no one more than her kids, her husband, her family, uh, when she uh, spent about 10 days in a coma uh, after contracting COVID-19 uh, previously this spring. She's going to be talking to us. We wanted to get a sense. We talked to Aaron Ross, the artist, earlier this week, who's about a week and a half removed from her fight with COVID-19. Jacqueline Robinson, she's a public health nurse, 
uh, is now several months removed. And we wanted to get a sense of how it continues to impact her, what it means for her daily life, and how she's giving back now. Uh, she's always contributed to the healthcare system for, for about 20 years or so as part of her profession. Uh, but she's really ramping up that commitment. It's getting a little bit more personal uh, for her as she's able to provide data as one who has made it through the other side. Before we get to the headlines, we want to recognize a couple of our sponsors, uh, the partners, the builders that keep Real Talk on the air each and every morning. And that includes the team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You know, I'm, I'm gushing all the time about this 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee that I'm driving. Absolutely love it. We've been a Jeep family for many years. My first vehicle was a Jeep. My second vehicle was a Jeep. My third was a Jeep. You get how this is going. My wife's also got a Jeep Grand Cherokee. We love them. We trust them. And there's no better vehicle to get you through the winter conditions here that we experience in Canada than a Jeep. Sherwood Dodge, St. Albert Dodge, your number one Dodge and Jeep dealers in the province of Alberta. Swing on by. Give Scott and his team a call over the phone. They're eager to help you out and, of course, observing all COVID-19 safety protocols. We're also thrilled to have the support of Friesen Brothers on this broadcast. Friesen Brothers soon to open their 15th store just off the Anthony Henday, Rabbit Hill Road, you know that area in uh, southwest Edmonton. It's a stunning shop. I had a chance to tour it just the other day with company founder Frank Loveson, and they are so excited to open the doors on that store this spring. In the meantime, there are other 14 stores across the province. Their Red Seal chefs are ready to take the Christmas and holiday planning pressure off your shoulders. Whether you're looking for turkey and fresh Alberta produce or something else, including their world-famous sourdough, why not leave it to the team at Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Jacqueline Robinson coming up in just a moment, but right now let's take a look at what's dominating the news headlines here in Western Canada and, of course, across the country. Eyes on Alberta, and we hope as citizens here, if you're watching from Alberta, if you're watching somewhere in Canada or somewhere else in the world, it goes without saying, we're all hoping to see these numbers plummet and ultimately hit the floor. Uh, let's take a look at Alberta's numbers as of yesterday's update from Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. As you know, more than 20,000 active cases of COVID-19 in the province. That includes 112 as of yesterday in ICU. That's up 600% since the end of October. 600% in the last six weeks or so. The seven-day average of new cases in the province, almost 1,800 and 640 Albertans have died after fighting COVID-19. So what do these restrictions mean for you? As announced yesterday, well, here's how it's going to play out. Uh, beginning on Sunday and remaining in place for four weeks, of course, through Christmas, through New Year's, uh, effective immediately, indoor and outdoor social gatherings are prohibited. Forget about the backyard campfire with the neighbors. Forget about getting the kids together on the Toboggan Hill. It's canceled. Masks are now mandatory across the province in all facilities outside the home. Uh, Alberta, up until yesterday, had been the only province without a mask mandate. Starting Sunday, and this may have an impact on your holiday shopping, keep in mind all the local retailers that are doing everything they can right now. They're doing home deliveries, curbside pickups. These are the independent businesses that are fighting like hell to survive 
drive. Keep them in mind over these next couple of weeks. Retail services and malls will be reducing customer capacity to 15%. Uh, Restaurants, pubs, and bars are now closed to in-person service, but takeout delivery and curbside pickup is allowed. All of these personal services facilities, hair salons, nail salons, casinos, bowling alleys, gyms, movie theaters, libraries, museums closed as of Sunday. Places of worship limited to 15% of fire code occupancy. I'm curious to know how you feel about that one. I know people tread lightly around matters of religion, but in my mind, I think that the most responsible thing that a religious community can do right now is agree to meet remotely. I don't think that's a controversial statement. It blows my mind. I understand people's religious practice is very important, but we've heard from the great religious leaders of our time, and I'm not talking about pastors and priests and bishops. I'm talking about the people that they wrote the books about. I'm talking about the people that would remind you that you don't need to gather in church because you are the church and where two or more are gathered. And you know all that. I'm getting off track, Sam Brooks, but I can't help myself. Places of worship, 15% of fire code occupancy. All employees are required to work from home now unless your employer determines you need to be at work in person. And of course, you can find a full list of all restrictions at uh, alberta.ca. That's what I'm reading from. That's the Alberta government's official website. Let's get to our next guest. As mentioned, she's a personal friend of mine, has been for more than 20 years. Uh, She's a recent COVID-19 survivor, a public health nurse in Vancouver, BC. She has emerged from her own harrowing journey with this virus and is now working on the COVID file for the province of British Columbia. Jacqueline Robinson making her Real Talk debut. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for making time for us today. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I I'm wanna, so happy to be here. You know, people, you and I spoke several months ago, and many of the people that are tuned in right now, Jacqueline, are remembering you telling your story, and they're eager for an update. I know people will be happy to see you looking healthy, but looking healthy isn't always <laughs> an accurate representation of how you're feeling. For those that don't know your story, though, Jacqueline, why don't we quickly summarize what your fight looked like was it it was back back last spring right spring of 2020 when you started experiencing symptoms and then things ramped up quickly absolutely so as a quick recap um i found out i was covid positive on march 17th after my husband actually came down with symptoms about five days prior to and um, i'm a nurse in bc so i got tested right away and it came back positive and i stayed at home, isolated, I felt extreme like aches and pains and fever and I became short of breath. And day six of my illness, my husband called the ambulance. I was so short of breath, I couldn't even get through a sentence. Ended up on a ventilator at Vancouver General Hospital about six hours later. And I was in a medically induced coma on a ventilator for seven days. And then I was in ICU for 10 days in the hospital overall for two weeks. And I was discharged April 3rd in a wheelchair, unable to walk, I was so weak. So it's, this virus really took me by storm. When you start talking about a ventilator, medically induced comas, uh, transport mm-hmm. by wheelchair, because you as a as a young, fit, otherwise healthy human being, I think that it paints a really clear picture. Uh, now, of course you made it through the other side and you survived. And I don't think it's too dramatic to suggest that your survival at one point was hanging in the balance. But then your second, then your second 
journey began. I mean, I remember you telling me months ago, Jacqueline, that it was a victory for you to be able to walk to the end of your block. Where are you now? Yeah. So this has been a crazy chapter of my life. And your interview was, I still listen back and I was short of breath during that interview. I remember even talking was an effort. So for the first uh, three months after being discharged, it was work to uh, regain my strength. I did a lot of rehab, shortness of breath. I you know I lasted for at least three months. So I would just, my husband and I would just do little walks around the block, like start just literally down the alley and come home and sit again and then keep going a little bit farther every day. So I did virtual physio and um, I saw a lot of specialists to see how my lungs were doing. And that's what sort of led me into this next chapter of life as being sort of COVID positive, the beginning of this journey, so much was unknown still at that time. And as a patient coming home, trying to make sense of things as a nurse, no one had any answers for me. So that's kind of where I'm at now is I'm just like all things COVID. So it's led um, me into a lot of amazing, fulfilling work and research that I'm doing with COVID. I want to ask you about that. Uh, let, let's get a sense mm-hmm. first of, of what, what's allowing you to, to speak today in, in a sense that, that, mm. that I noticed a difference compared to when we spoke before. I almost felt guilty talking to you before because mm. it, it was obvious that you were battling. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. our, our audience would be interested to know, Jacqueline, that, that when you and I did our interview mm. uh, through me, uh, a national reporter asked to speak with you. And, and you, although willing to get your story out, told me that you needed recovery time after our conversation, oh. which really painted a clear yeah. picture to me. Are you still I mean, through the physio and everything else, are you still mm. experiencing things like shortness of breath or residual effects with regards to your every day life? Yeah, so my, just to give you some perspective, my CT scan, which is a shows your lungs, at the time I was interviewed with you first, was basically a big whiteout. And that's called ground glass opacities. And it's just like all this inflammation in my lungs. And it was very scary to see. And that's this COVID pneumonia that they talk about. And I had a CT scan three months after that. And it's about 60% reduced. And I'll have it again in a year. So my lungs are still inflamed and they still have some ground glass, they call it, which is this uh, COVID inflammation. So I do feel shortness of breath um, on stairs. It's I can walk long distances, but stairs, just that exertion, I get chest pain with deep exertion in my lungs. So I do still feel it there. And my energy is not quite back to baseline. It's almost there, but I'm working full time. I'm caring for three children. I'm doing lots of things COVID related in my own time as well. So I think I'm hanging in. So, yeah, well, you're, you're doing more than just hanging in there, my friend. But I think that (laughs) I think, I think that paints a clear picture. I mean, we're, you're, you know, we're coming up on nine months uh, since your diagnosis, right? We're coming up on eight months approximately uh, since you were discharged from hospital. The fact that you're still short of breath uh, climbing stairs, I think, uh, you know, gives us a sense of, of what that might be like. Has your physiotherapist, has your physician given you any sense of, of, of whether or not they think ultimately you, you will get back to 100% or is there a possibility that you may experience lifelong reminders, let's say, of this? They are hopeful for full recovery, but they don't promise anything as they don't know. I'm in a lot of studies looking at the short and long-term impacts of COVID. So they're actually assessing me at three, six, 12, 18 months and two years. So we'll see sort of the progression. Um, 
I feel like I can do most things physically now. My muscles, I was able to gain my weight back because I lost almost 12 pounds being in the hospital that long. But um, we are studying what's happening in the long term with COVID. And that's a lot of my work now is working with people who are significantly suffering even more than myself um, with these prolonged symptoms that we're seeing. So it's really interesting what's happening worldwide with that. I think people will be interested for insight. Uh, if you could pull back the curtain on this interdisciplinary clinical COVID network, uh, this is yeah. something that you signed up for uh, basically a month after you were, you were discharged. I mean, to, to, to say it again, to reiterate it, before you were able to walk to the end of the block without losing your breath, you were already participating in this network. Uh, obviously, you're contributing your personal experience. You have a 20-year background mm-hmm. in, in public health. Uh, how is this yeah. all working, and, and, and what does this mean for, for everyday citizens that are watching or listening to this right now? Absolutely. So it was kind of exciting um, where public health was calling me every day after discharge. And they were learning a lot about me as I was learning from them. And they realized I got on the phone with a doctor and she's like, Jackie, I'm taking like two pages of notes here on discharge. And I realized that you're a young 42 year old with a husband who could care for you. But what if you were 78 and a senior by yourself? and we had discharged you and you're in prolonged quarantine and you're still short of breath and so forth. So she's like, we need to figure out supports in Canada for people after hospitalization of COVID. And I was like, I am so wanting to help with this because my background in nursing and complex discharges, I was like, yes, I don't want people to go through what I'm going through now. So I joined the Interdisciplinary Clinical Care Network, which is a provincial network of physicians, specialists and academics, researchers, And basically, we've set up the first of its type in Canada, these post-COVID recovery clinics. And hopefully, Alberta and other provinces will sort of take um, all the research we've done. We actually work with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, sort of studying how they're following post-COVID patients and figuring out how to do that best here. So it's an amazing service now that we see all hospitalized COVID patients. And they have standardized care. So we see them at three months, six months, 12 months. They have rapid access to specialists. And doctors Canada-wide can learn from this. They can reach out. They can figure out what tests we're doing now, all the research we've done. So I think this will help nationally. And it's just so exciting to be involved in this. Well, it's an it's an incredible opportunity for you, and and what a meaningful mm. contribution. I mean, the researchers were grateful mm-hmm. for researchers. Uh, I'll note as we're speaking now live, uh, Jacqueline Robinson, my guest, Health Canada has just announced this is breaking news. If you're listening to us live this morning, mm. Health Canada has approved the Pfizer vaccine, and the federal government is expecting yeah. about a quarter million. Uh, look at your face, about a quarter million uh, doses to be available by year's end. Uh, what does this vaccine mean to you? That resonated personally. You just acted like your beloved Vancouver Canucks scored a goal (laughs) so being a public health nurse vaccines are like my bread and butter right so i it's a science i truly believe in and i i back like i immunize children all over our province and specialized populations and i have been studying this covid vaccine from the beginning and working with specialists who also have and it's just so exciting that we have some hope here we have another tool the most important tool in our toolbox to take on this virus And I love the strategic direction of what's happening with which population would receive it most like first, which would be in long-term care. And that, as you know, has just been so exposed and hit so hard for these families and staff and residents. And I just am so excited that they get an option to protect themselves from this virus because they're a population that just can't fight it once they get it. So I'm just so excited. I'm 
been in public health, I'm already doing case and contact tracing on the weekend as well, just to help out because I just am phoning cases now, telling them how to isolate, but everyone's asking, when will this vaccine be out? And I'm just so excited to have an answer and also to help with the deployment of that in our province and like, how can we strategically get it out to the right populations and get people informed with the proper information. Back to the vaccine in just a moment. I'm curious, this is a bit of a personal question, but when you're talking Mm -hmm. to people, when you're on the phone with people, you're doing this incredibly important contact tracing work, et cetera. Do you disclose your personal journey to the people you're on the phone with? And if so, what impact does it have on them? That's a good question. I'd like to think with my like clinical judgment, I would bring it into the right conversation at the right time. So it doesn't affect, it doesn't need to be in every conversation. However, sometimes I am calling people who are really needing that empathy and they are really struggling. And what's beautiful about case and contact tracing is we're calling these patients every day. So we build a relationship. So often it can come out in the second or third conversation and I'm like, I hear you. I actually had COVID and I significantly, significantly was impacted. And I like was short of breath like you and isolated from my kids for, you know, a prolonged period of time. And I was scared and they're like, oh, so they can all of a sudden the information translates differently. When you put a story to information, it's amazing the difference. Uh, obviously, you you know, your eyes lit up when you heard that just a few moments ago, Health Canada's just announced uh, that they've approved the Pfizer vaccine. You, you call it your bread and butter as a public health nurse. I just spoke with mm-hmm. uh, health researcher Dr. Sajad Fazel at the University of Calgary before I talked to you mm. and, and got his his clinical take or got his, you know, as a scientist and a researcher, his take or his message on what he would say to the vaccine hesitant in Canada. I'm not talking about the anti-vaxxers. I, quite frankly, I I don't think that there are certain minds that won't change about certain things. I'm talking about the four out of 10 people approximately uh, that have Mm -hmm. some reservation around this. You're a mom, you're right. You're a nurse. You're what's your message to the vaccine hesitant. So I always like to come at vaccine hesitant conversations with, I congratulate them for doing their research Mm -hmm. and being concerned with their own health and the health of their children and those they most love. And I'd like to meet them with that goal because I'm the same with my kids. So I think it's good to question things and to wonder what you're putting in their bodies and your own body. And I think that um, the thing about this vaccine is it's been super fast. And I think that just brings up even more questions. And I like to change the word as like rush to prioritize. This world, you know, has come together and prioritized this vaccine. And I trust that our system, our, you know, government will actually make sure this vaccine is safe before they start giving it to humans in our public. And ultimately there's, it's already been given to thousands of people and they have done a lot of studies looking at the um, implications, the side effects, and overall, vaccines are extremely safe. So the, from what I have heard from this vaccine so far, from all the physicians, from all my readings, this is one I would line up for. I would give my children. I would give it to my mother who's on maintenance chemotherapy. And I wouldn't hesitate. This virus is very infectious, as we know. It can impact you in all different ways. And even with mild illness, like some people kind of shake it off, you can still have really prolonged effects that we don't know about. So the vaccine, I believe, is safer than the virus. And that's the important thing is it's a risk-benefit conversation. 
Jacqueline, uh, there's been a lot of, of, of uh, speculation, and uh, I don't want to put you in an unfair position. I'll note that, that you're not an infectious diseases specialist or anything like that, but you are a public mm-hmm. health nurse. You've lived this firsthand. People mm-hmm. wonder about antibodies or immunity. Once you've uh, beat COVID-19, once you've survived COVID-19, people wonder, can you get it again? And we've seen some stories uh, uh, out of China in particular where people have said there are yeah. people that are getting COVID for a second time. What mm-hmm. have you been told? What do you know about antibodies and, and what's your perspective in that context? So I am personally extremely interested in this discussion, yeah. as uh, you can imagine. I have literally, um, for the six months of my life, been like COVID reinfections, you know, typing in, trying to Google whatever I can find. So I have had many conversations about antibodies and immune protection and how long it lasts, specifically because I'm working in ICU at Vancouver General Hospital literally with the people that saved my life. So I am exposed. I am around COVID again. And I asked myself, why am I doing this? If, But it's, I'm, I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm doing the right thing. But I, from what we know about antibodies is yes, I have antibodies. They're actually using my blood to validate the rapid care test, which is pretty amazing. And, but antibodies will wane. So the number of antibodies can get so low, they're almost immeasurable. And that's with any virus. So Antibodies you hear a lot about because they're easy to measure, but there's a lot of other better protection called the B cell and T cell, which is your immune memory. And that's what I was interested in. So this long-term protection of COVID. And I'm in a study for B cells. I'm in a study on T cells and they're showing that they, we still have that memory, which is beautiful. I'm followed by an immunology clinic at Rockefeller center in New York. I have my blood in Paris. I have my blood with three immunologists here in BC. They're all studying it and they're literally calling me every two weeks, telling me their discoveries. And I'm telling you, I feel that I do have some long-term protection for how long we don't know because it's so new, but I feel protected for sure. So, Jacqueline mm-hmm. Robinson's our guest. Uh, I want to ask you more about that 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 blood contribution you're making in just a second. First, quickly, mm. I'm going I'm to break away for a second to recognize a couple of sponsors. This show would not be on the air without the support of the team at Westworld Computers. As I'm talking to Jacqueline here, I've got my iPad, brand new, that 13-inch screen, loving it, giving me the updated Twitter hashtag action at RealTalkRJ. I've got my MacBook Pro here in front of me. I'm keeping an eye on the YouTube comments. And then Sam Sam's got the big iMac on his desk, and, and we're set to upgrade, by the way, coming up soon. We're both very excited about that. It's Daryl and his team looking out for us like they've looked out for their customers in Vancouver, in Calgary, in Edmonton, Western Canada for more than 40 years. Family-owned, locally-owned. So this holiday season, if maybe you're hooking somebody up with something pretty special on the tech front, why not consider the local business that's keeping your favorite talk show on the air every morning at Westworld Computers. We're also grateful, and and Sam and I are confident when we enter our workspace here that our air is moving cleanly and freely. It's a purifier, thanks to the team at Clean Air Club. We asked them to audit our space, and one of the big things they focused on, they said, yeah, there's commercial elements here to think about in big businesses and and towers like this they said but what about your home as well people don't think as much about their furnace filters as they should and that's where clean air club comes in at cleanairclub.ca you simply sign up 
You tell them the size of the filter you need, and here's the thing. They drop them off at your door. They get you up to speed on the frequency replacement, what that needs to look like, and they support local with a special locally sourced gift for every one of their customers as they drop off your furnace filters. So check out cleanairclub.ca. You can link to them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Jacqueline Robinson is our guest. She's a public health nurse in Vancouver, and she is a COVID-19 survivor you talked about they're, they're using your, you, you kind of just said it in passing and then we moved on and I'm, I'm going, wait a second, wait a second. When it comes to antibodies and, and research, what are they using your blood for? So many things. Um, so my first uh, sample, they're biobanking my blood to actually validate tests. So I have a robust number of antibodies. So they're using that to make sure those rapid tests that you hear are actually giving good, accurate results. I've also donated plasma and I've been going in every three weeks to actually create, you know, an, a treatment for actual people who have COVID. And then recently I've been donating my B cells and that's a really exciting adventure because pharmacol like they're actually making a pharmacological treatment for COVID with B cells and it's um, doing amazing so far. So they're using my B cells um, to help with the treatment and my plasma that has a therapy. And I went to the COVID units yesterday and they're like, well, this new remdesivir, you know, the steroids are really helping people be on oxygen for less time. And we're using the convalescent plasma. I'm like, yay. I just like, if I could give back in some way to reduce the suffering of someone else, like Ryan, you have no idea how COVID is impacting our healthcare system internally. It is so hard. So well, if, you're right. any, Let me if tell I can you, bring any light. You're, you're a hundred percent right that I have mm. no idea. And, and, and of mm. the tens of thousands of people that ultimately will watch and listen to this interview between mm. now live and, and later this evening, Jacqueline, the majority of us, 95% of us have no idea how it's impacting our healthcare system. Can you take us behind the doors? I mean, can you in layperson's language help us understand the impact that it's having? Oh, so healthcare workers are exhausted. We haven't had a break. It never stopped for us. And uh, it is scary. We're seeing people die and they are dying often with, you know, these phone calls, holding phones up to their ears. Uh, we have, you know, compassionate visitation now for end of life, but still it can happen quite quickly where people are passing by themselves. There is young people passing as well as older. Uh, there are, so my, friends in internal medicine and she just emailed me a couple days ago and she's like Jackie people don't get it she's like I'm exhausted you know nurses and doctors are some of them are wanting to quit I'm rehabbing a 40 year old that can't walk after COVID she's like the people don't get it and I'm like oh and I see Brian the masks that COVID you know units wear are not the cute little medical masks there are these enormous elastomeric filtration masks that are hot they're heavy. They push into your skin. You're uh, trying. You hardly can talk, and you're in constant PPE. You're dealing with these patients that are completely isolated. So the unit is on like shutdown. Same with long-term care. If there's an outbreak, there are no visits, and so these people are completely alone. You're overworked. You're trying to provide this compassion to them. You're scared. They're, but I'm just inspired by the staff I get to work with. They are absolutely incredible resilient they're in this together people are showing up all like every day on these front lines whether it be a paramedic 
emergency doctors, nurses, porters, the whole system, respiratory therapists saving our lives. And I just, that's honestly what keeps me, you know, practicing these public health measures is I've seen the eyes of them and they just, they're tired and they're doing it because they know they want to do it and they care about all of us, but we need to care about them. I, and, and I'm there now working with them. And, and I agree with yeah, you. And that's yeah. why I think it's, and, and we, we've sort of stopped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, we used to mm-hmm. zoom with, with my uncle Lawrence who lives in Vancouver and, and we would zoom with him every afternoon and, and, and he would, he would show us off his balcony, his beautiful view in Vancouver, everybody banging pots and pans mm-hmm. and honking horns. And it was, as you know, Jacqueline, it was timed with the shift change. So healthcare workers coming in or out of the hospital could hear the city uh, exactly. thanking them. And, and we started doing it in Edmonton for a while. Uh, my son and I walked around and banged pots and pans in our backyard for a while. And people had signs up thanking healthcare workers and they were putting lawn signs up as though it was an election time to thank those healthcare yeah. workers. And, and over the months, uh, I, I suppose that people's expressions have, have become exhausted as well. But, but ironically, the stresses and pressures on healthcare workers have increased and i wonder yes. if, if 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 small shows of support like as you know jacqueline yesterday the province of alberta finally mm-hmm. announced a mask mandate and, and we're essentially essentially yeah. we're locking down for four weeks as of this weekend that to me sends a very clear message to healthcare workers that are not only experiencing uh the stresses as you outlined but let's not forget as well the doctors and nurses and administrators and cleaning staff and everybody else the maintenance yeah. uh, folks in those hospitals when they come home to their families, they're also not running up and hugging their kids, right? Let's no. let's talk about the fact that they're not able to emotionally recharge like normal uh, otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. Some of these uh, dedicated nurses and doctors who work in the COVID units are, I have friends who are nurses who have lost most of their hair because they have to scrub their hair so much to going in and out of these units. And there, I have doctors who I know who've actually decided to be isolated from their family because they put themselves at risk every day and too much exposure. And so people are making significant sacrifices to be in the hospital and to care for us. So I see it every single day and I wish the public could sort of see it that from that perspective. I don't want people to hear the messages then they're tired, they're burnt out and they won't be able to care for you. But they are exhausted. That's the differences in March. March was fear. You know, people were going crazy for toilet paper. And it was kind of like this mad rush. And, you know, even when I was in the hospital, it was so much fear of what I had. Now we know a lot more. And now COVID patients are doing better. And we have more therapies. Doctors are more informed. They are like, there's just a huge difference now with, with compared to when I was admitted. But it's never stopped for us. And we're tired. And so we all want to get through this. Absolutely. So this vaccine is just awesome. Um, Jacqueline, before we go, and and we can see there, our next guest is is getting set to go here. We'll be talking to Tristan Hopper of the National Post momentarily. Jacqueline Robinson, our guest. Little peek behind the curtain. That's what we're all about. We keep keep it real here on Real Talk. Uh, Jacqueline. I love it. This is, I know, and and, and quite frankly, you and I could talk for another 90 minutes, or maybe we'll just bring you back some other day at some other time. We can do whatever (laughs) we want, and it's very liberating. Uh, Jacqueline, and and perhaps we'll check in with you again in a number of months and and see how you're doing, but, but 
but here's how I want to wrap this interview. And I saved this till the very end uh, because this is so exciting. And I want to congratulate you in person. I wish I was looking into your face, uh, but we'll do it by Thank way of you. camera. You are about to ramp up uh, your own personal journey on the education front as well. You, you start next month. Uh, your master's in health leadership and policy at the UBC Mm -hmm. uh, Souter School of Business. Was this something that was on your radar before or has your COVID experience literally put you onto an entirely new path? Totally new path. I mean, I call this the most forced pause in my life where it was like I took away my voice and then my voice was taken away, my strength, everything. And you do a full inventory of your life. You figure out who do I want to be? What matters to me? And I thought, I have 20 years left in my career. And this this program planning with all the COVID work I've been doing was just energizing me. So I sought off the, sought um, a master's program. And this one combines health sciences with business. And it's all everything that sort of I want to do with that organizational leadership. So I'm super excited. I start in January. You know, my, my family's a little fearful, but I'm like, mama's going back to school. So <laughs> see how that goes. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to see what w- the doors that that will open for you. And obviously I think it's very obvious to Thank people you. and they're saying it, you can read the, the YouTube thread later, the comments, if you like Jacqueline, but, but people are so impressed by your message and, and obviously what Thank you're doing you. is so incredibly important on a number of fronts. So I wish you well with that. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Uh, my love to you and your husband, Kirk, a great friend of mm-hmm. mine, your family as well through this holiday season. And thank you for making time for us today. Thank you. And congratulations you, sir. I am just loving this show. We oh. are listening to it nonstop. You are so good at what you do and I couldn't be happier for you. This is just perfect venue for you and it's just an honor to be on your show so thank you for having me thanks Jacqueline you're welcome anytime that's Jacqueline Robinson as you can tell a very good friend of mine I've known her for 25 years Uh, she's a COVID survivor not using the word lightly she survived it out of a medically induced coma was wheeled out of the hospital by her husband in a chair uh, could barely walk to the end of the block uh, weeks and weeks after this happened um, I'm not sure if her Instagram is, is locked down. It may be a private account, but there's a photo that she posted in April, uh, late April, uh, of, uh, of her and her daughters uh, on a beach on one of Vancouver's beaches. And, and just the fact it was monumental that she had even been able to get out to the beach with her kids, that she'd been able to walk from the car to the sand or however they got there. It was like a, things that we take for granted. Right. These are the perspective checks that we want to have here on the show. We're going to get to Tristan Hopper in just a moment uh, of the National Post. uh, One of my favorite people, quite frankly, to talk to. Wildly entertaining, very insightful. And quite frankly, he doesn't give a rip what you think about what he says. And those are the best kind of guests on talk. Uh, But we're also, of course, focusing this morning on what we heard Yesterday, from Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Premier Jason Kenney, and Ministers uh, Doug Schweitzer and Tyler Shandro, the Minister of Health. And yes, we are going to show you the Doug Schweitzer video because I need to know what you think, whether or not he actually faked using hand sanitizer. That's kind of one of the things. It's not the most important thing to talk about today, certainly, but it does send a real message. We're going to show you that video. We'll do some video review, and we'll see what you think about that. But before we get to Hopper, because I want to ask him about Alberta's measures introduced yesterday, uh, why don't we take a look? Why don't we take a listen? uh, If you're tuning in live streaming audio on Mixler, let's listen to what Alberta's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, had to say. This is a perspective check. If ever there was was one, uh, here's Dr. Hinshaw yesterday afternoon. Since the first case was confirmed on March 5th, more than 72,000 Albertans have been diagnosed with this virus. 
This includes more than 20,000 who are actively infected at this moment. If you gathered everyone who has been diagnosed with COVID-19 together, it would be the fifth largest city in Alberta. One in three people have now been tested at least once, and we are approaching 2.4 million tests done. Two months ago, on October 8th, our positivity rate was just 1.34%, and we had just 184 new cases across the province. Today, our positivity rate is 9.41%, and our seven-day average of new cases is 1,785. There have been outbreaks in almost every type of group setting, parties, family dinners, sports cohorts, long-term care facilities, schools, hospitals, workplaces, and supportive living facilities, just to name some examples. We have seen the virus touch every region and every age group. Our youngest reported case was less than one year old and our oldest was 108. Many of those who've recovered have faced lingering side effects and serious outcomes. Most tragic of all are the 640 lives that have now been lost to this virus. Every case is a person, and every hospital or ICU admission is a patient who needed care. We are all at risk of COVID-19. We are all impacted by the toll it is taking on our health system. That was Dr. Dina Hinshaw uh, speaking yesterday to Albertans. Uh, okay, so Sam was just letting me know behind the scenes. Sam Brooks just does an amazing job uh, here as senior producer of the show, which involves uh, keeping the, the technical things going, uh, helping with the editorial duties, uh, making sure that Sam does basically everything around here and the entire show would be totally screwed without sam have i painted a clear picture of what sam brooks contributes to the show so you're we're waiting on tristan hopper who's gonna who's gonna we're, yeah yeah we're waiting uh he's popping in right now, okay, he's so popping I, should, in now. I should have him ready in like two minutes okay let me that, that's fine do would you like some more time yourself or would you like to talk to me or would that stress you out because i'm curious to know uh are you able to load up the doug schweitzer video for us this is this is something Absolutely that, that you know if you're if you're going to at me if you're going to if, if you're going to you know sort of troll me here and say uh, Jesperson you know, this is certainly far from the most important thing that was covered yesterday. You would be absolutely correct, uh, which is why we have buried it, right? Which is which is why now 65 minutes into the broadcast, I'd like to show you this video. It is not the most important thing that happened yesterday. And in fact, it may not actually even be accurate, uh, the, the allegations that people are making. Um, but, but what I want you to pay close attention to here is when uh, uh, Minister Doug Schweitzer um, I believe I uh, incorrectly identified him as Alberta's justice minister. He's been moved out of that portfolio. But Doug Schweitzer, the uh, MLA, the minister out of Calgary Elbow, uh, you remember he beat Greg Clark in that nail-biter last election. Uh, he approaches the podium to speak uh, yesterday. Uh, shortly after, I think it's Minister Shandro that went ahead of him, right? Minister Tyler Shandro uh, pumps the hand sanitizer. And, and you're, you know, let's be honest. Let's keep it real here. Everyone's going to go, oh, like, this isn't how real people are acting. Like, like pump, sanitize, mask on, pump, sanitize, mask off that's what we're supposed to do and it's important for these officials that are delivering public health measures and announcements to be modeling the behavior for people right so that's why they're doing it and and maybe they're rolling their eyes and maybe you're watching and maybe you're rolling your eyes and and whatever maybe maybe that's the reality of it but the fact of the matter is behavior modeling 
matters, right? I mean, it's why we even have little things like hand sanitizer on our desks. It's why we're wearing masks in the, the hallways here. It's why we have the purification units going. I, I, why I literally we're keeping keep a distances. bottle of it in my pocket at all times. Sa- Sam, I get a little actually worried about, uh, you're one of my friends I worry about. Do you have aloe in your sanitizer? Because I notice you sanitize a lot. Are you worried about the, the health of your skin? I, I've used so many different brands of sanitizer that I, you know, I'm getting to the point where sometimes I don't even know what's in it. I know some work better than others, some feel a lot better than others. Um, yeah, it's I've, I've been using way more moisturizer than I've ever done in my life before. Yeah, let me let me. By the way, keep yourself on camera. I want to try something out with yeah, these sure. sexy new lights that we've oh. got. Oh, there we go. I, sh- I shut them right off. <laughs> you were coming across a little hot. I wanted coming to across, see. If, yeah, yeah, you're, you're you're hot there. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're always hot, Sam. What? But. <laughs> But in this circumstance, okay, there we go. Look at this. I can control our lights with a remote control. Uh, the lights continue to get better and better here. We're having some fun here in the midst of serious circumstance. Can you get me that Schweitzer video? Here he is. Here's here's what all the the hullabaloo is about. Tell me. So so Shandro pumps the sanitizer pump on the one side of the podium. Now that's not to say there might be. Not, I mean, there, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's like a a wet pad down there with sanitizer on it or something. I don't know. I don't have a view. But just let me know what you think. Does Minister Doug Schweitzer actually fake sanitizing his hands? Let's take a look. So there goes Shandro. Okay, watch this. Thank you, Mr. Shandu. And okay, can we just 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 for those in the back that weren't paying attention? If you were on your phone, if you you know your kids are like, "Mom, where's my pancake? Dad, where's my favorite toque?" Okay, you know, come on, get to your screen right now. Can, can you load it up for me one more time? Let's let's take a quick look again. Just just one more time, just to be fair here. Okay, here's Minister of Jobs, Economy, and Innovation Doug Schweitzer. So there's the Health Minister Tyler Shandro. Pump, full sanitize, picks up his mask, puts it on. Bang up job, Mr. Health Minister. Nails it. Nails it. Watch this. Here it goes. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Shandu. And uh, <laughs> like, and- come on, come on. And the sanitizer's just like I mean I don't know. Maybe there was a, a wet pad there with sanitizer on it. Maybe there's some. I don't think so. Well, and he's been saying he used a bottle off camera. So why did he rub his hands so as, soon as, he put his, as soon as he put his papers down? Yeah. So you you used a bottle off camera, but then you faked. It just but anybody also knows if because we've all become so accustomed to using hand sanitizer now. Anybody also knows that like it's gooey and it's runny and some of it's more liquid than others. And like you can't walk with a fistful of papers in your hand and also have sanitizers. It would just like spill all over the floor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Jesse is watching the show this morning and, and using the hashtag real talk RJ. He says, Hey, at least his, his washing technique is decent. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, but I think 10 out of 10 public health professionals will tell you that sanitizing your hands without sanitizer doesn't work. I, 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 with confidence, I mean, four out of five dentists may agree that brushing your teeth will keep your teeth clean, but five out of five immunologists and virologists will tell you that sanitizing without sanitizer is ineffective. As we say hello to one of my favorite all-time dance partners with a Christmas tree in back coming to us live. Let's get him centered here. There we are. See, if we get you centered behind the tree, it's going to look like a big hat. 
Tristan. Uh, can, can can we can we get Tristan centered? Is that more on his end than ours? Yeah, there it's you go. It's a little Fine. more on his it's end than ours. More. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you, see, you see, Sam, you said that in a very non-judgmental way. You go, it's a little more on his end than ours. Yeah, there you I, go, <laughs> Tristan. Welcome to Real Talk. What a thrill to have you making. Can your you game. hear me? Yeah. I hope you can hear me. I can hear you okay. What are the, these headphones? Oh, great. Okay, a lot of audio problems on this end. No, I've been a hermit for several weeks. I haven't been speaking to anybody. You know that doesn't. You know that's not a hallucination. So. You know, I've had no need to get the Zoom Zoom on board. Well, I good. It, it kind of feels these days like we just expect everybody to be good at Zoom, right? I mean, it's like I didn't even know what Zoom was last March, but now we expect we just say to everybody, "I oh, could." It's a verb now. We say to our guests, "Could you zoom in for nine thirty-five?" and and here you are. Um, these headphones you're wearing are those. You from- should be good at Zoom, considering it's like one click. I mean, if you're if you're not good at that, there's something wrong with you. You're coming there's to us live from. <laughs> Well, there's some there are things wrong with both of us, but they're they're probably not relevant to the conversation we're about to have. Uh, it's great to have you back on the show. Um, people are going to be saying I want to address if it's an elephant in the room. It might be a baby elephant in the room, um, but but people are going to be saying Tristan Hopper. I thought he left the National Post to go work for this independent media startup in Victoria. Uh, why is Ryan introducing him as Tristan Hopper from the National Post? Uh, I understand there may be uh, limitations to what we can discuss here, but but you're back at the Post. Sure. Um, first of all, kudos to those listeners who would be who would have that much background information. I think that's super fan level. They actually know that uh, about me. But I have been fired from Capital Daily, and uh, I, I met with a very expensive lawyer, and that lawyer has told me to say that. Uh, okay, I just got my notes here. <laughs> okay, good. Um, <laughs> these aren't notes. I'm just reading my hands, just like Doug Schweitzer. <laughs> it's not real paper. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, that lawyer told me to say uh, it's uh, they have moved in a different direction and that direction no longer involves me. So I'm back to the National Post uh, where they welcomed me back. I think they see it as sort of a Rom Springer. Uh, this is the event where Amish children are allowed to go, uh, you know, experience the sins of the world. And then they realize that they never should have left the faith in the first place. And then they are more faithful than ever before. So that, that's pretty much describes my return to the National Post. I think I belong there more, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to return. So I haven't told anybody. Uh, I still haven't inked the contract, so they could still decide they don't want me. <laughs> so, but, so other, uh, yeah, the plan is for me to return mid-January. So in other words, I, have, I, I may have just put you in a very awkward position without knowing it. Well, no more awkward than the variety of awkward positions I've uh, occupied in the last few weeks. I think it's fine. Okay, that's good. It sounds to me like your your list of what your lawyer has told you you can talk about with regards to your former employment situation is very similar uh, to the list that my lawyer has provided with regards to my former employment situation. I was talking to former uh, AM640 Tacos Supriya Duvetti uh, on Friday who resigned from her position. And uh, I reached out to my lawyer ahead of that conversation and I said, hey, what can I talk about with regards to my situation? And he said, it's pretty simple. Um, nothing. And I said, OK. Oh, nothing. <laughs> so, so I think I had a bit more of a creative lawyer. I was trying to describe, you know, what I wanted to say. Like, can I say this? And he's like, no, you absolutely can't say that. <laughs> can I say this? No, you absolutely can't say that. Yeah. Can I say this? I guess you could sort of say that if you wanted. So, you know, can, employment law is sort of. It's, I imagine it's pretty boring. It's just like, you know, 
executive of like an auto parts chain is trying to, you know, get larger severance. So, yeah. you know, my conversation where I just wanted to find out what I was able to say, I think that was, that was kind of a creative, I think we had a fun time together. Yeah. Um, maybe not worth $350, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think a, a, a smart, a smart person in our situation always wants to keep the NDA in play, uh, with regards to what can be negotiated. Um, you know, my ultimately, as I look back on this, I can't help but wonder if this might all, uh, spawn a book at some point. And so the NDA I think could come into play there. So I'm, I'm listening to everything that my legal counsel has to offer. Let's get serious. Let's get down to this for a second. Cause there's a million things I want to talk to you about, uh, Tristan, but starting with, I mean, you're watching, uh, Alberta right now, your former province of residence, uh, from your current province of residence. And even then, uh, you're somewhat sequestered with with hundreds of thousands of other lovely people on uh, one of Canada's most beautiful pieces of real estate, Vancouver Island. Uh, Victoria has certainly not been immune from COVID, but the numbers are not like they are in Alberta right now. Uh, what do you make of what you saw from the Alberta government yesterday? And do you think the measures are appropriate? Some people are saying they're bang on. Some are saying it's going to hurt business irreparably, and, and they may be right. And, and some are saying this should have been done three months ago. What do you think? Uh, all those people could be correct. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody um, is denying that it's going to hurt business. So, I mean, that's that's what's so difficult about these lockdowns, of course, is um, it, you, you can't be doing single factor analysis of just like, oh, we brought down the COVID rate, but oh, the suicide rate and the domestic abuse rate and there's no more economy left. So that's the way not to do it. I'm, I'm more inclined to trust the Alberta government and uh, the BC government as well more than almost anyone else in North America who's been putting in these measures, uh, because I think uh, one of the biggest problems we've seen, particularly in the United States, is measures that don't make any sense, and then you lose public trust with that, or, or measures that don't really take into account um, the side effects of, 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 of these types of lockdowns. So one of the great examples is California banned outdoor dining. It's still warm in California. You can still eat outdoors. There's zero evidence whatsoever that outdoor dining leads to new cases, but they just banned it because uh, we can't. So based on what the rhetoric you've seen from Alberta, uh, which is very much taken into account, um, I think they've taken into account um, the negative effects and the side effects that these types of things have. Yeah, when BC puts in measures, when Alberta puts in measures, there's been very few just dumb COVID restrictions in both of our provinces. So I think you, if you did polls, you would find a higher level of public trust. Like a good example of a Canadian screw up on COVID measures was Manitoba. Uh, they put in some measure, it was like, you could only have, you could only buy essential things at the grocery store or the Canadian tire. So you go to the Canadian tire and like, you know, a scarf was essential, but a toque wasn't. So the toques would be roped off and it's like, you can't buy a toque, but you can buy a scarf. So you see a few of those and you're like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to go to dinner with grandma. I don't need to listen to the government. How so, yeah, based on how Alberta has acted so far and, uh, you know, the way it sort of treated the scenario, um, if I was living under the just very, very, very strict uh, restrictions that you're under, and that's no good for anyone. I mean, the prospect of not having a Christmas uh, I think I'd be more inclined to trust Jason Kenney than, uh, you know, California's Gavin Newsom. Does Jason Kenney deserve the public trust right now? He bristled. Did you see this exchange, Tristan, with 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 the reporter, uh, with Sammy Hoods of, of Post Media? Do you know Sammy, by the way, personally? 
No, and I try to know all people named Sammy. So this is a this <laughs> right? is a failure. And, and, and actually, the premier calls him. I mean, his name is Sammy, so obviously he calls him. But the premier calls him by name. Um, you you have to see this exchange. Let, let's uh, Sam. Let's okay. So here's the deal. First of all, on Twitter, um, this is amazing. Uh, a tweet that's that's coming in from uh, a listener that's tuned in that that basically says if you're going to fake th- this is incredible if you're going to f- fake hand sanitizer this is Sarah uh, that sends this tweet in she says if you're going to fake it you've got to fake it better like I'm talking where when Harry met Sally faking it uh, which mm. is uh, potentially one of the tweets of the day Sarah so thank you for listening to the show we appreciate that um, Okay, Tristan, this clip's going to take a second. Now, it I'm not going to play the full one because it goes for five minutes. Uh, when's the last time that uh, uh, an elected official has answered a question for five minutes? But you can tell that Premier Jason Kenney is pissed when Sammy Hoots... actually runs out of batteries after four minutes. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Can, yeah. yeah, either batteries or content. But, but so Sammy Hoots yeah. asked the question. We're going to include the question because it's relevant. Uh, and Premier is, you, you you can see the steam coming out of his ears and his watch his body language and how he answers. And and again, we're clipping it because I'm not going to subject you to the full five minutes, but but it's telling. I mean, he, he, he takes it on like, anyway, it'll speak for itself. Sam, let's roll it. Hi, Premier Kenny. Um, approximately one month ago, you said that COVID fatalities represent, and I quote, a tiny proportion of deaths in our province. Since that day, around 300 more Albertans have died due to COVID-19. Hospitalizations, as you've noted, have risen from around 170 to well over 600. ICU emissions from 30th to over 100. We're the last province to implement the mask mandate, and you've resisted calls from health experts for months to enact the very measures that you've announced today, uh, including saying that uh, Alberta is doing the bare minimum a few weeks ago to help keep the economy running. So from a health perspective, it's clear that your approach hasn't worked to date and has arguably even cost people their lives. Do you acknowledge any responsibility and apologize for the way you've handled the second wave of the pandemic? That sounds a lot more like an NDP speech than a media question, Sammy. Uh, I reject the entire premise of your question. Uh, First of all, we do lose about 26,000 people to deaths every year uh, in Alberta. And what I said at that time is absolutely uh, accurate. My point was to put that uh, in context. uh, And we've tried to keep everything in a balanced context throughout. Um, In terms of masks, uh, this was the first government in Canada to recommend mask usage when the Public Health Agency of Canada, the World Health Organization, and many media outlets, perhaps your own, were parodying the advice not to use masks. Alberta was calling for masks. When I'll remind you as well that when the federal government was uh, responding to pressure from the World Health Organization to keep borders open from COVID hotspots, uh, I was calling for them as a former immigration minister to be closed as the East Asian jurisdictions did so effectively uh, to limit spread and have the best COVID outcomes in the world. Um, this is the only provincial government to have provided a widespread mask, uh, free mask program, uh, providing uh, tens of millions of uh, free masks to Albertans to normalize their usage fairly early in the pandemic period. Uh, and uh, we, we believe that, as I quoted two weeks ago from uh, former Prime Minister Sir Wilfrid Laurier, that often uh, the sunny ways of persuasion are more effective than the harsh means of coercion. So there you have it, uh, Alberta's Premier, uh, quoting Sir Wilfrid Laurier. And, I, did, and I do like how you characterized him. You did, if we check the tape, you said steam was coming out of his ears, mm. which, uh, you know, maybe it's just because I'm in raving hippie town. 
that is, you know, that, that is a very calm level of steam. I think that's me. You know, just Alberta. That's Alberta angry. Where he's just, well, well, Sammy, I reject all the premises. Well, but, uh, there no, are. He definitely did. He's angry, but uh, there, know, are, no. there are different versions of Alberta angry. Uh, oh, yes. Alberta, yes, angry, Alberta angry can be truck convoys to Ottawa parked in front of Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alberta angry can also be that, which is when Jason. The kinda, quiet angry is way scarier. Way quiet scarier. angry. That's the guy that burns your house down. Yeah, 100 percent. That's way scarier. But but he, yeah. he, he, he he's he's super upset. He says that sounds like more yeah. like an NDP speech than a mm-hmm. media question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Canadian Association of Journalists, by way of their official verified Twitter account, pushed back on that yesterday, by the way. Uh, was the premier out of line in, in invoking a partisan reference there, or is that fair ball, considering that Sammy threw a fastball right at him? Um, I, I don't like questions where you're asking a politician, like, do you feel bad or did, you know, obviously you know, do you have some regret? Because, I mean, you're never going to get an answer where, like, actually, I do feel regret. I've made a big mistake. Thanks for bringing that Why up. Why not, though, Tristan? Um, so you're never going to get a – you're never going to get a satisfying question. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I I would probably – if I was Sammy, I'd be pissed off that I was accused of being a partisan. Um, and I don't think it was uh, an openly partisan question. Uh, but I also sympathize for both sides on this because COVID is, there is no roadmap uh, to avoid it. So like at the beginning, um, you had Sweden, uh, which was sort of keeping their economy open. They were experimenting with maybe we can, you know, avoid all the, the job losses and all that nonsense um, and then just fight COVID in our own way. That hasn't worked. And now, now Sweden uh, wants the model of how to address COVID. They're having to put uh, similar lockdown type measures in. Um, so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there was there have been a lot of recommendations from public health officials that turned out to be really stupid, and it was good to ignore them. So nobody knows how this thing is going to play out. For for example, the one I constantly bring up is that remember in April when they were telling us masks don't work and they were actively discouraging people from wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that's shifted 180 degrees. Um, way back at that time, um, the science was very clear. I mean, if you read any of the literature, that precautionary principle, you should be wearing masks. Um, so it was really strange that public health officials across the board were not recommending masks. So um, I'm not as sway, uh, persuaded by the, the public official, health official, official said this, so thus you should have followed it to a T, and anything that goes wrong is your fault. Uh, because there are still so many unknowns, and I don't really hold it against any government that is trying to uh, maybe more aggressively balance the economy side with the health side. So, uh, yeah, I think Jason Kenney is caught in a situation where um, they tried something. It didn't work. Lots more people are dead. And, yeah, he's going to be testy. Yeah. Testy for sure. Uh, we saw this morning, uh, Tristan, just about an hour ago, Health Canada has approved uh, the Pfizer uh, vaccine. This is the Pfizer BioNTech uh, vaccine that will be available to Canadians about a quarter million doses by the end of this year. And then, of course, more in the spring. Uh, what's your personal take? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I've ever talked to you about vaccines before. Will you be getting the vaccine? How do you feel about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put anything. Uh, maybe I'm not the best example for Mr. Pro Vaccine because I will put anything in my body. I'll eat cold <laughs> hot dogs, you know, that I that I found. And, uh, you know, it, it seems to seems to work out well. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I very much trust the, the vaccine approval process. And, you know, if this is something that it is something that is going to restore us to some sense of normalcy, 
uh, and then, you know, stop everybody from going nuts and, and sort of, you know, bring this to an end. So of course I'm going to get the vaccine. What do you, yeah, I love, uh, well, I was I was talking to a couple of, of guests. Uh, I love vaccines, he says. Um, I it's like I, I love this is a total aside just on a, I, the, the the um the bumper sticker movement about I love whatever. I've always got like I love New York. Uh, I love Alberta beef. Um, and then and then I understand I understand the messaging, but I've always kind of laughed like not that I don't feel the same way, I guess, but like I love Canadian oil and gas. And it's like, I mean, we love it because it provides jobs. And like you like you love oil. Like, I, I mean, I love just... seeing that bumper sticker in Victoria because, uh, you know, you're putting yourself on. You're yeah. really pissing people off there. Yeah, you're getting you honks. Are. Yeah, you I, are. There, are, there are a few of them. There's like two or three and I see them all the time. Yeah. And I, I respect I respect it. So it's you know, it can be like I support vaccines. I believe in vaccines. Um, I love vaccines <laughs> might be an interesting one uh, to push out that bumper sticker. But but I've, I've been I'd asking that on my car. You, you'd put that on. I, your I car. would put an I love vaccines bumper sticker in my car. hundred okay. percent. We'll see if we can get you one. Maybe we could maybe we could brand it with the show's brand. And then, you know, uh, but Tristan, what do you make? Of, I asked Dr. Sajad Fazel about this uh, earlier this show. Um, you know, there's been some suggestion that, for example, kids that aren't vaccinated uh, should not be allowed back into public schools you know the, the idea people are floating for example what about these big metal tubes what about airplanes if you're not vaccinated would an airline ever uh prohibit you from flying what would you make of something like that on on, on first glance is that something you can see a even being reasonably implemented and enforced or b something that's appropriate or is that a little too personal where do you stand on it uh, well, you also have the, you, have, you, you do have the issue um, of there may be people who can't take the vaccine. So this is something that always came up with uh, right. uh, like measles uh, or something. There, there are a, a few people that aren't able to take the vaccine, but um, I, I don't really see uh, an issue with that. I mean, even, you know, if, if we're speaking to a libertarian here, the libertarian would say, well, you can, you can ban anybody you want from your private business. Uh, so if you're an airline and you decide the only way you can operate with packed cabins and not have the liability of an outbreak, which of course is devastating, is you have to have vaccinated people. I don't really see a problem uh, with mandating that. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, generally, um, I'm more inclined to go the route of like let individuals and let businesses make the decision that makes sense for them. Because I think one thing we've seen uh, throughout this pandemic is that most of the time, people will make the right decisions. I mean, you always see on the media, there's the, the anti-masker, the person coughing. We, we always highlight the idiots, the COVID idiots. Uh, but I think what I've learned from this is that the vast majority of people are quite smart. They will listen to the data and they will do what's right. Um, a great example, actually, is one of the reasons uh, that BC is getting hit hard now, but it, it was very much dodged the early days of the pandemic. Um, one of the going theories as to why that is, is because Richmond, heavy Chinese Canadian community, when China, they, you know, when China's saying, don't worry about it, this is January of 2020, when uh, China's saying, don't worry about it, we got it all under control, not a pandemic, <laughs> don't, it's okay. Richmond, Chinese Canadians said, oh yeah, don't listen to Beijing, screw them, we're wearing masks, we're sanitizing, we're social distancing. As early as January, if you went to Richmond, it, was, it looked like the rest of the world does now. There's very good reason to believe that because they did it, ignoring all the public health officials, ignoring the WHO, ignoring China, they saved the rest of BC. They stopped it from getting a handhold and then basically denying BC the first wave. So I think that's been true of a lot of communities. Um, you know, mandates aside, you know, businesses and people will make decisions that will keep them safe. 
Tristan Hopper's our guest. Tristan, uh, I'm going to fit in a quick break, get to some of the headlines, and then we'll be back. Tristan's been uh, taking on kind of a, a cool mission, and I know it'll benefit all of us, uh, taking a look at some of the news stories that have been buried as a result of COVID-19. I mean, even, even look at our headlines uh, to look introspectively here. Most of what we're updating you on is COVID-related for obvious reasons. Uh, but that means that other stories uh, are maybe not getting the attention that they deserve. And there's a couple that Tristan's following that we want to get to. Uh, first, we want to thank the team at Local Waste for their ongoing support of this program. We wouldn't be on air without Chris, Labossier, Lauren, and their team's support. Of course, Trash Talk comes up every Friday around 10 o'clock. And we want your submissions. Just simply email talk at ryanjesperson.com if there's something you got to get off your chest Trash Talk, one of our favorite four minutes of the week around 10 o'clock on Friday mornings. Local Waste has been in the business of waste and recycling management for more than a quarter century, 25 years going up against the big internationals, the faceless garbage companies. They're locally owned, locally operated, and they're expanding locally as well with potentially an opportunity for you. If this has piqued your interest, Go ahead and check out the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com for the link to their website or just go directly to localwaste.ca and they'll take your call directly as well at 780-242-9746. And what can we say about the team at Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Six locations there, Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens and Baseline Road. You know, they're like everybody else going to be impacted by these new measures, but their drive throughs and the delivery apps remain operational. So why not treat the family to Dairy Queen tonight and keep in mind that at these six locations only because of the Real Talk partnership only Christmas ice cream logs, you know, these frozen Christmas ice cream logs, the famous ones, the ones you enjoyed as a kid. And now as I'm talking about them, you're remembering them. And now it's all you can think of 10 seconds later. They're 50% off only at the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Let's take a quick look at the headlines before we get back to Tristan Hopper with the National Post. Of course, we're talking about new measures introduced by the Alberta government yesterday. And, uh, well, it's going to impact you no matter what your situation is, because as of this weekend, for the next four weeks, entertainment businesses and entities are demanded to close. Casinos, bingo halls, gaming centers, race centers, horse tracks, raceways, bowling alleys, pool halls. I mean, use your imagination. Legions, private clubs, doesn't matter. Still closed. Art galleries, libraries, museums, cancel your plans. Closed. Amusement and water parks, obviously. Closed. Indoor playgrounds, theaters, concert halls, banquet halls, trade shows, uh uh-uh. Closed. Indoor and outdoor gatherings with people outside your home unit against the law for the next four weeks. And employees that can are expected to work from home unless your employer says they need you on site. You can check out alberta.ca for more on that. I want to give a shout out to Kurt in Mill Woods, who in real time has put a story on our radar that we're putting here into the news. The UK regulator, health regulator, British medicines regulator is warning people with significant allergies to think twice about the current COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and BioNTech. Uh, two people who had the shot Tuesday experienced allergic reactions. They're National Health Service members, NHS members, so it caught the NHS attention immediately. They experienced anaphylactic reactions after receiving that Pfizer vaccine on the first day of the campaign. Both reported to be recovering well. Uh, both of them had a history of severe allergic reactions per the NHS news release. 
And on the investment front, do you hold canopy growth stock? Did you hope to ride that green wave and invest in cannabis and see your fortune create itself? Well, canopy growth is one of the big ones here in Canada. They've just announced this morning they'll be closing uh, four facilities and laying off about 220 staff. So more tough news on the investment front when it comes to cannabis. Let's get back to Tristan Hopper. Uh, Tristan Hopper, uh, soon to be, although I feel like I shouldn't really be announcing this. Why don't I just call you a well-read and respected journalist, Once one of, uh, per your Twitter bio, one of Canada's most influential people. Does, does that work for you, Tristan? And the creator of, the, of Canada's largest Rice Krispie Square. People can see the photo on your Twitter homepage. That's right. Nobody has challenged me for that, uh, that honor. So you gotta, you got to pick something that's so ridiculous no one would bother, uh, you know, taking the title from it. It's like people that are Guinness World Record holders in whatever. I mean, you just hold it until somebody else decides to do it. It's very doable. You just have to find something so obscure uh, that no one else is going to challenge you on it. I'm surprised that through COVID, somebody, I mean, we've, we've had nothing but time on our hands. We've, we've, people have had nothing to do. Some people are cleaning out their pantries, and there has to be at, le- at least one person that found a case of old Rice Krispies they're not going to eat. I'm surprised nobody challenged you. How many boxes of Rice Krispies did that thing take? Um, well, I, I wasn't using Rice Krispies. Here's the secret. I was using the, uh, the Loblaws brand. Ooh. It was like, you know, crisp, crispy rice or something. Yes. And then I was using even off-brand marshmallows. I think instead of being made out of hooves, they're made out of, you know, just, you know, the other part of the skeleton. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think it was 11 boxes of 500 grams. I, I used to have this at my fingertips. It, it was a fair amount. I would say the price, though... It was about 150 bucks to do do that, uh, you know. And I fed the whole neighborhood. I was like the uh, um, person from Myth who feeds a lot. I used to have the name. Sorry, I think it's interesting. Okay, people. I encourage people to check out. Just go to follow Tristan on Twitter at Tristan Hopper, and you can. It's he has it pinned to his profile. This rice crisp, rice crispy square. It's absolutely incredible. Um, you've been following stories that, and and it's obvious. I mean, we're even guilty of it in our own newscast because the. You can't really do a COVID update and then an entire other newscast, but that means that stories that would otherwise be either leading the headlines or at least seeing exposure simply are not. Uh, what are some of the more compelling stories you've been following that that really haven't seen national attention like you think that maybe they should? Oh, uh, it, it just things that happened this year. So news stories when you tell people like, you know, this happened in 2020. Uh, and people are surprised to hear it. Uh, remember when Iran shot down one of its own airliners by accident? Uh, that was in 2020. Uh, that was January 8th. Uh, but this was escalating tensions between the U.S. and Iran. Um, they thought an airliner taking off from Tehran International Airport was an incoming missile or something. So they shot it down, killed 178 people. That was in 2020. Um, remember when the Pentagon... Uh, released, basically confirmed that UFOs exist and released a bunch of videos saying, oh yeah, here's some phenomena, some weird, you know, lights in the sky that we can't explain and we're the U.S. military. I guess UFOs exist. That happened this year. Um, Canada's worst ever massacre. That's that's the really surprising one. I'm sure Nova Scotia listeners, um, you know, have no problem remembering that, but uh, we had the worst mass shooting um, in a year uh, that actually had very few mass shootings. That's one of the upsides of COVID-19 is everyone's home, so you can't go out and shoot people. Canada had the worst massacre in its history. 24 people killed 
in the small town of Porta Peak, uh, Nova Scotia, in the most terrifying circumstances possible. A man dressed as a police officer driving uh, a fake cop car and basically gunning people down on their front doorsteps in this small town, basically the last place you would expect it. Uh, that happened this year. Uh, and then uh, another space-related one. Um, this was the year that NASA was finally able, you, you had your first private space contractors, Elon Musk, SpaceX, uh, sending space capsules to the International Space Station. So this is the first time since the retirement of the space shuttle that there's been a non-Russian way to get to the ISS. So all, all these news stories. And then death after death, all the, you know, lots of major celebrity deaths, um, not necessarily of COVID-19 uh, that we've just sort of forgotten about um, because it's, it's just been blown over by COVID-19. So yeah, you're right. There's been this whole other year of shadow news that we missed. It's just that, like after 9-11. A bunch of interesting stuff happened in the latter half of 2001 uh, that we just forgot about. Yeah, you know, I you, you mentioned Nova Scotia, and uh, they had that stretch, um, the mass shooting, which was obviously yeah uh, devastating. That 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 rocked the entire country. Um, th- that that Canadian Forces chopper went down uh, off the coast of Greece. Uh, you remember with with Nova Scotia servicemen and women aboard, and that four year old boy. Um, I can't remember his name. Maybe my mind is blocking it from my memory because I have a five-year-old son and I was absolutely devastated by that news. But you'll remember that little boy uh, under the care of his grandparents went missing. He wandered off and, and, and was later found. And, and all of those incidents happened within, if I remember correctly, Tristan, I think two or three weeks uh, within one another. And, and now- uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then you had uh, overlap. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh- uh, there was there was an, a sailor who, who was uh, she, she was in a viral video, I think, playing um, some sort of musical tribute. I forget if it was bagpipes or trumpet. Yeah. Um, in the wake of the massacre. And then she was killed in that helicopter crash. So, uh, yeah, just unbelievable tragedy to hit. And, and let's not small place. And, and, well, and, speaking of tragedies, we also had that, that snowbirds crash. I was just going to say the snowbird crash, which which to me was like. You know, the snowbirds, as everybody knows, and maybe we need to be reminded, though, maybe we shouldn't say as everybody knows, because there's been so much going on and swirling around us, but the snowbirds were on their cross-Canada tour to instill uh, hope and joy and, and renew people's courage and, and, and do what they do and have the impact that they have, and then to have a flight go down, uh, uh, have a plane go down was just like, it just sort of... And I'm not. I don't mean this disrespectfully. To, to I'm not dismissing it as this, but it was like of it was like the most 2020 thing that could happen. I mean, another example here in Edmonton. I think Canadians from coast to coast know who Joey Moss is, uh, the legendary. Uh, you know, one of Wayne Gretzky's best friends of all time. Uh, one of the most beloved, easily one of the most beloved Edmontonians of all time. A legend within uh, the Edmonton football team and the Edmonton or- Oilers organization. Uh, Joey Moss passing away this year. Uh, you know, Alex Trebek passing away this year um didn't mr Rogers was mr rogers this year or i might be wrong on that but it was just like culture oh, he's been dead forever yeah he's okay he's been dead for a long time but 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 you know alex trebek was another example where it was like cultural icon after cultural icon uh passing away it was just uh, it's just been a year from hell and i know that we always say that we go out 20 now there, there also is a fixed Station on bad news. So some good things happened this year. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, um, none let's... of which come to mind. You know, there's been medical, there's been non-COVID medical breakthroughs. Uh, you know, we, we've made, you know, the sciences 
uh, have actually done great uh, because you have all these scientists sitting at home. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to discover a species or cure some disease or something. So there's been a lot of breakthroughs in the sciences that, uh, of course, got, got missed. And I think there is a tendency to sort of fixate on the bad news to say, oh, of course, that, that, that would happen. It's like when you're having a bad day and then you just start tallying up. Uh, like, of, of course, I would hit a red light on this day of all days. Uh, so things have been good things have happened. And as I always remind people, um, you know, we've had way worse years within living memory. So this hasn't been a great year. Um, but in terms of just bad years to live through in, you know, human context, looking over the past hundred years, I'd rather have 2020 than, oh, I don't know, 1967, 1942, 1930. Um, you know, I, things are bad, but, uh, Things are relatively good, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think any any anything from zero A.D. Uh, up until about the 1600s was also probably pretty lousy as well. Um, you know, mm, yeah. There's a, there's a game I play with my my grandma. My grandma's 99, and uh, and then she'll you know I, I think we should have a class action lawsuit against CNN because she just watches CNN. And then, you know, it's like, oh, the world's going to hell. And then I pull out a map where she grew up in Alberta. And I say, well, here's the Indian residential school. Here's the Japanese Canadian internment camp. Uh, you know, here's the polio hospital. All these things that you just didn't have the 24-hour news cycle that you were not aware of. Uh, all of those things uh, don't exist. So, I'm, you know, part of it is just we have more exposure to news. This is a news program. You should continue consuming it as much as you humanly possibly can. But, uh, you know, the, the, there is a difference in how we're exposed to news versus how we used to be. You know, I, uh, my understanding is that you're, you're embarking on a, or you have embarked on a project with your grandmother, who I know you're very tight with, 99 years of age. Amazing. Um, maybe a little bit similar. And I wish I could go back and do it again with better equipment and more experience in storytelling. But, but I'll, I'll be forever grateful that while my four grandparents were still living uh, and they've all passed now. But while they were all still living, I, I undertook an assignment while I was a student at uh, St. Polytechnic in Calgary um, to mic them all up, to set up cameras and lights and to interview them and to have them tell their stories. And I have it on a DVD and uh, and it's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life to, to hear their voices and have them recount their childhood stories. You've been undertaking somewhat of a similar exercise through the pandemic with grandma hopper can you tell us about it and some of the things you've learned about her that you didn't know fired uh so i have all this you know unemployment time so i thought okay well you know i have microphones uh i'll set it up i've been wanting to do it for a while uh because um one of the things is uh as you know as an interviewer i bet when you did that uh when you're re-listening to this audio uh you're embarrassed because you probably didn't have the interviewing skills you have now so i did the same thing when my grandma was 90 uh, I tried to do an, an oral history interview and uh, I actually sucked at it uh, because I was just asking, you know, when the war started, like, were you sad about the war? And you, you, you just get kind of these defensive and surprised questions. I found this time around, I'm just doing the very small details because so if you're talking to your grandparents, that's the details you're going to want to remember because everybody knows when the war started. Everybody knows what the depression was like. But what gets lost to history is the tiny details. Uh, that's what gets left out. So I've been asking her, like, what was food like? What did you wear? Um, you know, what was it like going to the store? Where did you get your news? Um, all, the, all these little things that you're going to hear all the big stories um, about, uh, you know, the time you survived a car crash or you know, the time someone pulled a knife on you. Um, but you are going to miss those, those little things. What, you know, what she, 
you know, what dating was like uh, in the late 1920s. Uh, what happened in, if, you, if you were caught in a thunderstorm and you didn't have a rain jacket. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do this time around. And it's actually been great at spurring some of those old memories that, you know, bigger memories that she thought had been lost. So when you start asking, you know, what was the floor made of in the cabin where you grew up, that spawns a memory that she had thought had been lost for seven years. So I would recommend to anybody in the audience, you know, who wants to speak to their elderly, elderly relatives, ask really small kind of boring questions. And that's going to be the most effective I, I found of anything else. Okay. So you sent me a list of things that your grandma told you about. And I just, because, because we have time here, um, do you have to go? Do you have to, do you have anything you have to do in the next 10 minutes? No, no, I know. No, my, my, my actually, yeah, my appointment is with grandma to do another oral history session. Okay. Well, there's no way that I'm going to make you late for your time with grandma Hopper, but I do have to get to. No, no, no. She, she said, uh, yeah, anything for Ryan Jesperson. Oh, whatever you need to do. Okay. Well, you you tell grandma Hopper, thanks. And as soon as we have Jespo mugs, I will send her a mug and I mean it. Um, but you, you were, you were talking about some of the things that you've learned from her, like, uh, let, let me reference some of these. The best time of year was when the communists showed up. Well, what's that all about? This one, yeah, this one, I kind of knew this, but this one really surprised me. So she grew up in Rosedale, Alberta, just outside of Drumheller. Uh, and she said, you know, the best times of year were uh, Christmas, uh, when, you know, all the miners would get together and give up uh, presents to all the kids in town. And then she said, every summer, the communists would show up, the Communist Party of Canada, and they would hand out ice cream and hold foot races. And this, they didn't have a fair, but they did have communists coming to town. So I was asking, she was just a kid at the time. So I'm like, did they give speeches? I mean, what, what did they show up in like a big communist traveling roadshow? What, what did this look like? And she's like, I don't know. Uh, we just knew that communists came and I, we got to eat ice cream. So I'm like, that's, that's very strange. I have not heard of this uh, aspect of Alberta history. I actually thought uh, we, we've never elected uh, communists. Uh, any open member of the Communist Party of Canada has never been elected in Canada uh, because I think they, they were banned or something. Uh, so the fact that there was apparently just these communists driving around rural Alberta handed out ice cream, which is ironic because if you look at the history of communism, not a lot of ice cream and foot races, mostly just gulags and starvation. I was going to say, um, I, I, of all the photos I remember seeing of, of, of uh, the USSR, Romania, I mean, like whatever, through the years of the, the video footage we saw of the long bread lines, and I'm not mocking it, uh, but I don't remember ever seeing a kid licking an ice cream cone, like trying to twist it so he made sure that it didn't drip onto the ground. That's not an image I would associate with communism. Yeah, yeah. So very, yeah, not uh, not the image of communism. Uh, so, you know, to this day, you know, my grandma understands communism was bad, uh, but there still is, a, you know, deep. And I've, I've, it's like a, a friend of mine. He has a mom who grew up under uh, grew up in the Soviet Union, and she says she still has fond memories of Joseph Stalin. Uh, she understands he's one of history's greatest mass murderers. But when you're a kid and you're singing songs to Father Stalin in class, I mean, it's hard to beat that nostalgia out of your head. It's like, uh, you know, me thinking that The Goonies is a good movie. It's not, but, you know, it's just uh, you know, stuck in there. Yeah, so fair enough. Uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, apparently. So if anybody else in the listening audience has a grand, you know, has experienced this weird, you know, middle Alberta communist traveling roadshow in the 1920s, please let me know because I haven't, I haven't met anybody who's encountered this. Uh, there was a man. Uh, can I? This isn't technically a swear word. You can say whatever you want. There was a man want. who moved to. T- 
Okay, there was a man who moved to town. He was named Shitkaker, Herr Shitkaker, uh, moved there from Germany and then uh, tried to get along in the town until he realized that you know his name was Shitkaker and then he changed it. So I, she didn't have a lot of context, but I do like to imagine this, like you know, mustachio German, you know, like Zas is my name. It's a shit hair shit kicker. It's not, why is you laughing? It's my nom. It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a like a an endearing nickname. Like I can see that if someone's like, hey, shit caker, you know, bring over the, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of what Germans eat. Sauerkraut? I don't know. That's what I can't think of. So, Which that person's schnitzel? descendants are probably in the audience. Hey. So their last name is like, you know, Martin or something. Yeah. And it, we, yeah. we, if they do their family history, it's like shit cake. I didn't, oh, I didn't see that. Coming. So your um, grandma must be, this must be incredible though, for her to be recounted. Like for her, she, this must be a great, like what she's telling you about shit cake or who she remembers 99 years later or 90 years later or however old she was. She must be getting a real kick out of these conversations with you too. Oh yeah, it's also uh, I think so. Yeah, because it is bringing back memories and weird memories. That's the thing. Is she said um, I came back. So we did one session, then I came back, and she said I just remembered. You know, when we first started this, I couldn't remember the names of any of my teachers, and then this one memory came back, and then in with modern context, she realized like my grade two teacher was a total hottie. This was her memory. She's like, at the time, it's just your grade two teacher, but she started thinking about it like, you know, long blonde hair, high heels, you know, really good dress. Uh, you know, just looking back, this spurred a memory where I thought like, you know, for rural Alberta, grade two teacher in Rosedale, she was a total babe. And I'd never realized that before. Uh, uh, so, you know, th there was more profound memories, but something like this. This, this feels like literally every conversation I've ever had with Tristan Hopper. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah, this have is you had, bad. Have you had many? I've, is, I've had this enough. Is, uh, like, we, Tristan, this is we, Sam Brooks, yeah. the producer hey, buddy, of this show. Going? Hi, Sam. <laughs> What's the story here? Oh, uh, well, I mean, there's a couple stories. Uh, we used to work, you know, when, when Tristan was uh, based in Edmonton out of Post Media, he worked at the Journal Building. So oh, we got, got it. Close, okay. Like, yeah, we worked in, you know, we were in separate places. Tristan is the guy that, because he worked for the National Post and he was a bit of a big really, deal. Well, like, and he didn't really, like, he was kind of an oddball in the newsroom. So he just took over the publisher's office and worked there. Is that true, Tristan? You, that's, that's gutsy. No, no, I took over uh, the publisher. I didn't go into the actual corner office, but. The, the building is so empty. What people don't realize about the Edmonton Journal building is it was built at the worst possible time to build a newspaper building because it was like it's, 1991. It's, it's, it's so built to be a five-story newspaper empire. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So they built it with special foundations so it could be 10 stories eventually. So this is the emptiest building, I think, in um, North America. I basically had half of Florida. I would say easily I had 800 to 1,000 square feet to myself, which is good because I'm a very flatulent individual. Um, so this, this is a good you know, time for me. But anyway, I think Sam had his own thousand square feet to himself and I would visit him every once in a while, mostly for building advice. Sam is a, a quite a talented DIYer. He is. You know what? I wasn't going to tell this story on air, but uh, uh -oh. Tristan, you, <laughs> you brought your dad to my new year's party to talk right. to him about basement renovations. So what he wants. That's correct. Yeah. Tristan, yeah. you, Actually, you wanted to use it as an example? Uh, the, the hidden part of that uh, is that we were visiting a, uh, a relative who shall remain nameless. Uh, we had been at their, that individual's New Year's party in Edmonton. And my dad grew up in Edmonton, so we hadn't seen this person in quite a while. And I thought, oh, yeah, you, see, you, know, see, uh, you know, see your old relative there. Uh, you, you guys were close growing up. And then I realized 
why they haven't spoken in 10, 20 years. There was a whole bunch of issues boiling under the surface that just completely exploded out in the open. And we basically had to flee. And I'm like, oh, you know, we just been yelled at this huge, horrifying blow up. And I said, well, we can go to Sam Brooks house and kind of get that bad taste out of her mouth. So we had just, we were refugees from this massive Hopper family, you know, explosion. So that's why we were, you know, with the thousand mile stairs in your basement. Yeah. Um, before I let you go and this, some people, this is, this is not going to be their favorite part of our interview. Uh, it's not going to be their favorite part of the segment. Um, but those that have grown up in rural, well, I better be careful how I tee this up. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if this is still the case, but uh, you've indicated to me that Grandma Hopper confessed to you that not everybody in her hometown uh, heeded Bob Barker's advice to spay and neuter your pets, uh, including farm cats. Uh, she said, and I'm I'm imagining this is going to trigger some memories. People will be upset about audience. this. She said, yes. she said, well, you you, di- you didn't spay or neuter. Uh, so they said, everybody had a cat. Um, what you did, and this was standard practice, when the cat had a litter, you put him in a bag, and you drowned him. So if we looked at the bottoms of every creek in Alberta, it would yeah. be filled with tiny, adorable kitten skeletons. Uh, so uh, apparently this was commonplace. This, I mean, because you didn't, you didn't spay, you didn't neuter. So the only alternative was thousands upon thousands of cats in the community and no stray dogs too, which indicates to me, they were just gunning down the dogs. Uh, so that's the thing about the past. The past is a foreign country. So you're always three follow-up questions from just something horrifying. It's like, uh, Oh yeah, there was this girl named Sally until she was euthanized. <laughs> or, you know, no, not euthanized, uh, sterilized, but you know, back in Alberta, you'd sterilize the, the but actually, and like, and like, not yeah, that actually would. relatively the, the speaking. The definition of mentally unfit was kind of, you know, ah, she likes uh, jazz and her sterilizer. <laughs> you know, so there's, um, yeah, not for the, the past is not for the, uh, you know, uh, week of But hearts. that's, but so that's. You are going to find some horrifying things. I remember hearing, I remember hearing the exact same thing from my grandpa who grew up on a farm. And it was like very matter of fact. Like he didn't even he wasn't and my grandpa's like a saint. He's like the most wonderful guy ever. Uh, and it was just like, you know, people like, oh, boy, I'm just going to open up a can here. But like if you if you live and work on a farm and we're very grateful to everybody that lives and works on farms, including my family members. And I'm not saying this is present day protocol at all. And I'm not speaking for any Jesperson family farm right now. But like 80 or 100 years ago, I mean, my grandpa didn't even tell me the story, Tristan, in a way that was like, you think that's crazy. Listen to this. Like, it was, <laughs> it was not like that at all. But it was the exact same thing. Like, you know, the, I, and I guess maybe now, I don't know, like, are we are we a little more, I don't know what to say, soft? Like, th- that we have animal rescues? I think we're probably just a little more civilized. But I don't think that it was your grandma's community that was the outlier here. I think that was just kind of like how no, people no. rolled. I think, I think everyone did that. This was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the more I brought it up and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend this at, at most parties. People object to the, the kitten drowning talk. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the more I brought it up in my surprise, they say, yeah, that would, that was, that was how you dealt with cat population. So I think if cats knew that they probably wouldn't be hanging around us as much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I agree. They'd probably actually yeah. be rallying against us. Uh, a cat, a cats to me, they have that look like I'm more of a dog guy. I understand why people love cats. Cats are cool. But to me, a dog would never cut your throat in your sleep. If it could, a cat might. And uh, I get a little more yes. nervous around yep. cats than dogs. So it took us three weeks to just turn real talk into cat talk. 
Well, I mean, we can do cat talk, dog talk, whatever you want. Uh, all I know is this, Tristan, there are more people watching us now than when you started, uh, which is a good sign. However, our comment section, as I'm seeing now, is devolving into uh, conspiracy theories about 5G and a whole bunch of other interesting things. And I'm not going to pin that on you exclusively. Uh, what I what I will say is that it's great to get you back in the fold here. A lot we all of- have our favorite conspiracy theory. What's your favorite? Mine is that Bob Dylan died in 2008 and the record producers covered it up to keep making money. That's why he wears the big hats. It's not Bob Dylan. It's like it's like Melania Trump 2.0 kind of thing. Like there's a Yeah. There's yeah. an imposter. Okay. I, uh, I, I don't have one off the top of my head. Uh, do you have a, a conspiracy theory, Sam, that you think might be true? Or do you have one that's... I don't, I don't have a favorite conspiracy theory. Um, I'm not convinced we're the smartest animals. Because oh, we're too dumb to know it. There's probably a species smarter than humans. Who do you think it might be? <laughs> Dolphins are a good candidate. It might actually be like a bacteria or something we haven't even discovered yet. You know what I mean? Like it's just they're they're so much more intelligent than us that they just don't even have the time to deal with us. Ah, they're just waiting till we're vulnerable, and then they're going to take us out. This is more for our uh, buzzed podcast, which we may be launching, Tristan. It's going to be like a one to three in the morning type podcast. We're basically going to. Okay. We're, we're doing this at one in the morning. We're, we're going to stuff our faces with psilocybins and, and then we're, we're going to wait a half hour and then we're going to start podcasting and we'll invite well, you. Well, here, here's, a, here's a whale thought to go out on. So especially because here on the West Coast, um, everybody loves the whales. They love the dolphins. They think you know, they're smarter than us. They're free. They've got the oceans to themselves. Oh, I wish I could be a whale just outside. What people never consider is that whales spend most of their lives over a black abyss. So you just look down and you just see nothing down there. Now, if anything happens to you, just think of all the times you sort of sprained an ankle or fallen down or collapsed, uh, or you know, maybe you had a mild stroke or a mild heart attack and you needed to be hospitalized. If that happens to a whale, they just fall into the abyss as their family watches them disappear. So I, I'm going to take humanity over whales. And be, imagine just the, uh, the mythology they have around that. It's like, because well, we all Grandpa have that choice to take one or the fell other. Into the abyss. Yeah. He's sort of like, Oh, my next, my next killing me. Ah. And then fell into the darkness like ah, but I'm, but I'm, and then they never saw. But I'm picturing, again. I'm picturing uh, Jack, I'm picturing Leo DiCaprio, like like yeah. slowly, slowly dropping in fate. And there's there's actually something quite hauntingly beautiful about it, in a way. Yeah, because he's not screaming. Fair. Yeah, uh, he's already dead. But the whale's like, uh, he there's pit- so much more to live for. <laughs> Um, on uh, on the YouTube live comments, Epiphanies of Tiffany says y'all are blowing my mind, uh, which is great. Uh, Marie believes that uh, Elon Musk uh, may be an alien. Michael Wilson uh, says that's not a theory; that's a fact. Um, uh, others say, uh, let, let me see here. These are some good ones. Judy believes that Tupac still lives. He faked his own death. Um, yeah. uh, Scott says uh, Scott says Jesperson the Melania one that is true. Um, Michael Wilson says I saw Dylan in 2012 and it was terrible. I I buy that conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. J- Jess believes that Michael Jackson may be alive and well in Quebec. Um, and uh, yeah, this is uh, well. And how about this from Lisa Holmes, uh, the former 
uh, president of the Alberta Urban Municipality Association, uh, former mayor, uh, just at least is just an incredible human. Glad to see she's watching. She says it's sad about what Tristan's saying about the farm cats, but it's completely true. She says, my grandmother lived with a real phobia of cats jumping on tables. She'd jump on tables if she saw a cat anywhere, and she related it to seeing and remembering her dad drown their kittens. That from Lisa, so interesting stuff. Tristan, I didn't think we'd be talking about that this morning, um, but then again, it's not the first time that you and I have allowed our conversation to, let's say, meander in entertaining ways. Uh, it's a thrill to have you here on Real Talk. I can't wait till we can make things official uh, with your employee and talk about that. We'll be eager to read you again, nationally speaking. Uh, say hello to uh, Granny Hopper for all of us here, and uh, and uh, you know, have a wonderful day in beautiful Victoria, BC. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it thoroughly. That's Tristan Hopper. Uh, soon to be back with, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, hon, I did not know that he had not actually signed a contract with the National Post. So in my announcing that he's back, um, I sure hope that uh, that, that happens. Uh, otherwise, I mean... Post Media's lawyers are breaking down our door right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he'll get picked up somewhere else if they don't take him. Um, what a show this has been. And thank you all for your commentary. We've covered a lot of ground today. What I do want to remind you is that today we have a very special edition of Real Talk coming up later today. That's right. Sam and I aren't going anywhere. That's because at 2.05 Mountain Time, 4.05 Eastern Time, uh, we'll be sitting down for a one-on-one -on -one exclusive interview with Canada's Finance Minister with Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. It'll be live again at 2.05 Mountain Time, 4.05 Eastern. All you need to do is meet us right back here on our live streaming YouTube channel. You can listen to it on Mixler. You can find all of those links at ryanjesperson.com. Again, we'll be live coming up uh, in another three and a half hours or so at 2.05 Mountain Time. And of course, we'll be podcasting that as its own separate entity. Thank you for being part of the conversation today. I know no, I don't need to tell you that the conversation will continue on Twitter. Just use the hashtag RealTalkRJ. That's oftentimes where we get ideas for upcoming shows. The best way to tell us what you'd like to hear more of or where you stand on an issue is to sign up for the question of the week at RyanJesperson.com. Join our Real Talk panel. We look forward to talking with you again soon. The gun away.